Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With. Hey, you can't steal my gimmick. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Well, I saw you going for it, so I figured that I needed to get there as well. You know, it's going to be one of those shows. I can already tell I'm fired up. Well, I'm fired up, too, because you finally upgraded your fucking internet. You know? I mean, we're, we're reckoning hundreds of thousands of dollars on this podcast. You think you could spring for the good internet, and uh, I'm glad you finally did. Well, I didn't know I had bad internet, and you don't know you have bad internet until you get good internet. And now you got the good good, right? Yeah, I got the good stuff coming in, dog. You know. Well, I'm excited about it because we had some good stuff this past weekend down in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, the Florida Panthers hosted us, and man, that's one of the more fun experiences I've ever had. I guess I'd been sleeping on that facility, but man, BB and T and all those guys down there, they've got it together. Yeah, it was great, and everybody was first class. Nice to see everybody there, but the big surprise, the creme de la creme. That's French, isn't it? Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay, well, you know, the creme de la creme of guests, the the kind of the the dream guest of all dream guests, Pat Patterson, Lord Patrick Patterson, live and in living color, joining us last week. And if nothing else, I was highly entertained and I was happy to be in Pat's present all weekend. Yeah, it was awesome, man. You know, we didn't promote it because we didn't want them to talk someone out of the booking. Uh, we didn't want it to be prevented, uh, but we pulled it off, man. You know, we, we go back and we tell a lot of stories on the show here about how a lot of the stuff we grew up on was created around Vince's pool and just three guys sitting at the table there. It's Vince McMahon, it's Pat Patterson, and it's Bruce Pritchard. And you had two of the three, and really, you're never going to get the third one. It was a unique experience. I'm glad we were able to pull it off. I promised it would be the biggest guest in show history, and it certainly was. Let's talk a little bit about the draft, man. That's our topic Well, hang today. on, hang on, hang on. So you want to skip over stuff. Let's go ahead. Let's address the elephant in the room, Conrad. Okay. Because a lot of feedback and a lot of people on the Twitter machine that you guys always talk about and your favorite uh, crap sheet writer, uh, Dave Meltzer, and his little smart-ass comments and other people with their little smart-ass comments and talking about, well, you know, Bruce this and Bruce that and, and that we're just a comedy show and all this other crap. Let me let me be perfectly clear. And I, I tweeted out, I'm, I, don't, I don't like to get involved in the trolling bullshit on Twitter. Ooh, I don't like to up respond today. to Meltzer and all those other people. However, I had to respond. Okay. What I do here on this show is I, I tell you about my experiences from my perspective. If I don't know anything, I say, hey, I don't know. And I try to do that in an entertaining way to keep you coming back and be a little different than the rest of the podcasts that are out there. And when it's insinuated that, well, Bruce just pretends like this is off the cuff. Well, no, actually, we do know what our subject matter is. And yes, I do research. And yes, I actually go back and call people who were also there to refresh my memory and jog my memory. So Dave Melcher and the rest of you fuck-alls can go fuck yourself. There's a personal message to you. Go fuck yourself. You don't know what you're talking about. I don't just take secondhand information from somebody buying a ticket because they'll never be employed in the wrestling business telling me about the business that I've been in for 44 years. So I do take offense to it, and I do take offense to somebody who refers to me as a clown and that I'm making up shit. So you can kiss my ass, and there you go. 
in fairness. No, uh, there's no fairness. Well, no. There's no fairness with some jack off. You don't even know what I'm going to say. You're fired up, uh, and you don't know what I'm going to say. I am fired up. I was, I'm already fired up. I have been the one who's always referred to our show as comedy. Because every now and again, someone online will take everything that we say on the show here when we're clearly having fun and they'll take it to be the gospel. I mean, I don't mean to sort of be a spoiler here, but Vince McMahon probably never said chocolate titties. (laughs) You know, that's not real. We're we're trying to enter that to me. That's just obvious. That's just common sense. Like you can tell when we're having fun versus when we're actually covering legitimate stuff that actually happened. But the idea that everything you say is bullshit or everything that Meltzer reports is bullshit is probably not accurate. I think it's all somewhere in the middle. You're going to have a little bit of WWE slant because you want to defend your idea. And there's going to be some objectivity that you don't necessarily agree with. Does that mean Meltzer gets it right every time? Absolutely not. But he does refer to our show as a clown show. He takes his job very seriously. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I think this is supposed to be entertaining, which is why I throw to you to do impressions and say chocolate titties. But I mean, come on, guys, this is supposed to be fun. Yes, and I enjoy telling my stories in an entertaining way. And again, to categorize the entire show is a clown show. And then to make reference to, well, he just calls this up. Yes, I present it in a way that I do call it right off of the cuff. But I do have to jog my memory. I am 55 years old, and I've been doing this a long, long time. But I also have friends in the business who have better memory than me on a lot of things, sometimes not, but we discuss it beforehand. And it's people that were actually there. And I don't sit here and say, hey, I talked to so-and-so, and I talked to this guy, and talked to that guy. Not what we do. We try to entertain you, we try to have fun, and I had to get it off my chest. Very few things piss me off. I don't engage in that bullshit, and that pissed me off. I mean, let's give a full peek behind the curtain. I know a lot of people listening to this think it's just Bruce and I bullshitting and freestyling, as I like to say. But the reality is there's a lot of preparation that goes into this. I'm not fucking Encyclopedia Brown. So there's a format even for this show. And so like last week's show at WrestleMania 19, it's 61 fucking pages. There's no way that you could just off the cuff remember all that, nor I. So we've got a a format of, Hey, here's what we're going to cover. And here's how we're going to get there. And I share my notes with you ahead of time. We didn't always do that, but once the show sort of took off and you guys know that uh, we took it a lot more seriously. So there's real prep now. So Bruce has a little bit of time to call that guy from the writing staff or this guy from the office or this guy who was there about a, a particular story. And that's sort of how he gets to add his spin on things. But the format of the show is what the dirt sheet said happened. And that's my role versus what really happened. And here's the, but here's the difference, Conrad. I'm glad you said that because here's the difference. I call people that are actually there. I don't call the guy that bought a ticket in the third row and say, Hey, what do you think happened? Well, you know, the thing that, that bothers me is another great podcast host this week was really taking issue with anyone who disputed what Dave Meltzer said. And he listed all these other names in wrestling history who had no problem with what Meltzer said. But the reality is I know of two people in particular who have a visible reaction. Whenever you say that per say Dave Meltzer's name to them, you know, it is what it is, but that's the way they respond in private. But then when they're in public, of course, they baby face Dave Meltzer and it's It's puzzling to me that someone who knows so much about wrestling would not get that. 
Why would they want to be nice to Dave? They get awards named after him. <laughs> Roll Tide. If you play the game, if you are nice to him, he will look out for you. And that's not us being trading, you know, trade secrets here. You're nice to people who are nice to you. So Meltzer's nice to people who are nice to him. Doesn't make him a bad person. It makes him human. So behind the scenes, someone may not really like what he does or the way he's made his living or that he sort of spoiled the wrestling business or whatever old timers thought. But when he calls, they don't, they're not going to be rude to him and shit on him for fear of it having some sort of backlash on their personal career. So if they can for the record, neither would I. Yeah. And for the record, I would talk to, I would talk to Dave if he called me and I would be nice to Dave. I see Dave at first. I'm going to walk up to him and shake his hand. I mean, you have before last year at WrestleMania, you know, you hammed it up with him at Wally mania. Right. And, and I'm sure he hated that. I didn't, I did take a shower afterwards. Oh my God. uh, Listen to you. I shower every night, Conrad. Well, listen, I, I understand that at the end of the day, he's trying to sell newsletters and we're trying to sell downloads. And we all, we all have the same passion for wrestling. So I don't view any of this as negative. I think it's all just fun. Good. <laughs> I know you don't, I know you take this all very fucking personal, but I want people well, to no, enjoy when, when this. You are personally attacked and your integrity is personally attacked. Yes. You do begin to take it personal. And, and again, I don't guys, I don't sit there and read every single thing on Twitter. It's, it's just too much for me. I try to, I try to gauge the temperature and what the hell's going on on out there and different things. But when, when you see little things like that from, from people that are not in, again, have never spent a day of their life making a living in this business, making a living off of the business, but not actually contributing in a positive way to the business. I, I totally disagree there. You know, Dave Meltzer is contributing in a positive way because it's made me a bigger fan. If the wrestling observer was not around for the last 20 years, when I sort of wandered out, when my interest wandered away from what was on television, it never wandered from what was going on behind the scenes. So even when I quit watching wrestling, even if it was false, it didn't matter to me. Okay. I mean, here's what I'm saying. Like it didn't matter to me that the chocolate titty story was false. It was entertaining. Like, I don't have to have everything. If I'm the only chocolate in- titties, wasn't false. The chocolate titty line was false, right? But the story was true. I- I'm not arguing that. What I'm saying is all of wrestling is fake. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I don't mean it that way, but I'm saying all of a sudden one piece of news that I hear one, one line item might not be factual about a fictitious sport. And I'm supposed to be upset. I'm not like, I just, I found his work entertaining and it kept me engaged and interested in his work. Even if I wasn't necessarily engaged and interested in what was going on on Monday night raw. So it keeps fans who were maybe lapsed fan shout out to our other podcast brethren. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck him too. Why are you so fired up today? Dude, I'm, I'm fired up. That shit just, it just pisses me off. It's people that, that don't know that, that come off and want to pretend that they know because they read something or they heard something from somebody and, and everything else. And, and it just pisses me off and I'm off my soapbox and, uh, Bruce is going to get some, take my shirt off, man. I'm all, I'm fired up now. I can tell. I don't want to see that. Do you? I've seen it before. Okay. You know, this is going to be a fun episode for me. I can already tell. Um, I got to admit, I wasn't as fired up that this won the poll. 
we put this on a poll where I really thought it would come in second. I really thought the night after WrestleMania 14, that Monday night raw, which is historic was going to win the poll, but it didn't. The first draft did that goes down on March 25th, 2002. So we're right around the 16 year anniversary. I guess that's going to be this coming Sunday. It goes down on raw on TNN at Penn state university in state college, Pennsylvania. And it's an interesting time in the business because a year prior, almost to the day WCW went out of business. Of course, the very last Monday nitro was on March 26th. Here we are 364 days later and Vince decides, God damn pal. If there's no competition, we'll create our own. Is that roughly how it comes to be? I mean, whose idea was the draft? And when do you remember this first being discussed? You know, the, the whole idea behind purchasing WCW in the first place was to create our own competition. And as that experiment, that failed experiment can, was taking place, you know, it's like, all right, we have two shows. We have the raw and the, the SmackDown brands, two separate shows. Why not split them as was the original idea to make WCW the Monday night show and SmackDown to be the WWF show originally We'll just make Raw and SmackDown their own brands. We'll separate the talent roster from within, and one will not cross over to the other. So it was Vince's idea to also give more talent, more exposure, and not overexpose your top talent. So chat me up. When does, I mean, you sort of laid it out that that was the original idea with WCW. When does it sort of switch gears into raw and SmackDown instead of it being two separate rosters, WWF and WCW we're all together. Clearly that has sort of fizzled now at the end of 2001, the whole invasion concept. Is this something that's discussed before Royal rumble? Like goddamn pal after WrestleMania, here's what we're going to do. Let's just get through WrestleMania. It was around the Royal rumble time. And that, you know, the WCW brand was dead. No one cared. So rather than try to revive a dead brand, you did have two strong brands in Raw and SmackDown. Let's just really put the gas on both of those and do something from within. So it was probably around, you know, it, it was that Royal Rumble time because we're thinking, holy shit, all right. Now what? You know, what do we do? How do we split them? Uh, who gets who gets who? Um, How's the idea presented? Are all of you guys sitting around, you know, a big conference room table? And Vince says, "Goddamn, pal, here's what we're gonna do. First of the year after WrestleMania, what if?" Yes, and he presented the idea of creating our own competition and, and separating the brands in Vince's head. Vince saw this as raw would be one brand. SmackDown will be the other brand and never shall the two cross. Right. Um, that if you're SmackDown, man, you've got three, four years on SmackDown before you could ever be seen on raw again now and me, vice versa. And let me ask, because back in the after magazine days, let's go back to the eighties and nineties, they would run covers where it would say, here's the dream matches sting versus the undertaker, Rob Van Dam versus Shawn Michaels, Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair, whatever Steve Austin versus Goldberg. So these are sort of the dream matches 
of WWF versus WCW. Was that the original idea? Let's separate them long enough to create this dream match scenario and then put it together at one super show a year. No, see Vince didn't. And and that is how we all took it that you were able to build for an entire year. Right. So that WrestleMania was your super bowl. Whoever your SmackDown champion would face your raw champion and the underneath, you know, that that was the one time every year that the two brands would co-mingle and merge and face one another. And Vince was like, no, they're separate brands. They remain separate, but at WrestleMania <laughs> will have representation from both, but they wouldn't be against one another. Kind of confusing. Yeah. But to us, it was a, like you said, to us, it was an opportunity to build two guys and they get to meet one time once right. a year. There's one opportunity to see those mega matches, right? What would happen? And he was like, no, you have separate brands. They stay separate. So listen, you said us define us at the time. Brian's there. Lagana's there. What does us look like? I don't like? even know if Lagana. Yeah. Maybe Lagana was there at the time. I know Ed Kosky was there. Heyman was there. Um, Michael Hayes was there. Stephanie. And that's all I really remember. There may have been a writer's assistant or two, but Pete Doyle may have been there, which by the way, Pete Doyle is the name that I couldn't remember last week, breaking up the, uh, scuffle between Paul Heyman and Brian Gwertz. Chat me up. Thank you, Pete, for emailing me that. Tell me about, you know, when he first brings this up, that he wants to do a draft and you're all sort of in the meeting. Does Vince, you know, you've told us before that Pat Patterson earlier in your booking career taught you to start sentences by saying, what if, is that a, is that a Vince McMahonism we haven't heard? Does he too say, what if? Yeah, he so, does. I mean, he, he brings it up and, and we'll say, you can try this on for size. You know, Vince is all about put it in your pipe and smoke it and, and tell me what you think about it. Yeah, don't, sort of chew don't react on it right and, away. Right. So that's what I wanted to get your, your feedback on when he presents this idea, you know, do you remember, was it raw? Was it SmackDown? Where were you guys? Are you in the office? I think we, yeah, at this time we were still at the studios in Stanford at the studio. We had a, a writer's room and it's funny that the writer's room that I had designed a long time ago is what is what became the writer's room in the studio at that time, which was a big, but I had it a big conference room in the center and around the conference room were actual offices right? for each of the writers to have their own separate office, but it was a private space for them. And then everybody could come in and meet together at the conference room in the middle. The only difference with this space was was that they were not individual offices, that they all had desks around. So you had no privacy. You had no place to go and shut your door. You just had a desk. So if you're having a conversation with somebody, the guy in the desk next to you heard everything you're saying, and you had just nowhere to disappear to. That was the one flaw that I saw in that writer's room. Well, it's probably good from a creative standpoint. You know, whenever I've created marketing ideas, I mean, you and I have been in the same room where we were sort of freestyling. And that really worked well, but I do get what you're saying. If you need to have a private conversation with somebody, you got to have a parking lot conversation on your cell phone, right? 
Exactly. And that's what we did. We would go take walks in the studio. We'd go out to the parking lot. No, I, I think that that's great. The, the, uh, communal space in the middle is great and it's great to always have that to go to, but I'm, I'm the type person that I always like to retreat and go have my private time, uh, away from everybody to think, to write and not be disturbed. I feel like you're getting your rhythm now. Are you feeling a little better? Hey guys, are you looking for the perfect father's day gift idea? I was, and I found it at paint your life with paint your life. You'll get a hand painted portrait created to fit almost any budget. And it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You see paint your life, transform your photos into a one of a kind hand painted portrait done by professional artists. You can upload photos of anything you can imagine. You choose the artists and the art medium. They've even got great frames. It all takes less than five minutes to get started and you can get your portrait in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded guaranteed. And right now as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right. 20% off and free shipping to get this special offer. Just text the word wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four. That's wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four text wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Afford anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. I feel great. Okay. I'm a, I'm a 21 year subscriber to the wrestling observer. Fuck the wrestling observer and fuck the goddamn editor of the wrestling observer (laughs) that writes dirt rumor innuendo and bullshit. I'm on his website right now. Who is is wrong? Probably 88% of the time. No, that's fake news. That's not fake news. (laughs) I love we're just making up. He's wrong. 88% of the time. 88.9%. Hey, by the way, Conrad. (laughs) By the way, Conrad, check this shit out. You're going to love this. I was on the analytics the other day looking at our YouTube channel over there at youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle, which by the way, folks, you got to go check it out. And if you want to listen to our archives, head on over there. But on YouTube, did you know that our audience of females has grown to almost 3%? Ooh, that's what I'm talking. Did you see all the females that were in the crowd in Sunrise, Florida? I did. That's right. I did. And I noticed today it's up to three percent. Uh, and when we get just fifteen hundred more subscribers, roughly, at YouTube.com/forward slash something to wrestle, we're going to do a bonus poll with all the shows that Bruce missed when he was on hiatus, pal. Uh, that includes SummerSlam '91, um, Survivor Series '91, Royal Rumble '92, and WrestleMania '8. So you'll get to pick which one of those shows you want to hear. If you've always wanted to hear Bruce's take on that and do a watch along with us for one of those shows, just go hit the subscribe button. It's free at youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle. Uh, and eventually it will be your home for all the archives. So get comfortable kids, youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle. So let's talk about, you know, when he first pitches this idea and he says, uh, try this on for size. 
how much time does he give you before he expects some feedback? I mean, is he saying, what do you think about it? Or is he sort of saying, help me come up with some angles, some storylines, and then we'll circle back up and then have a bunch of idea sharing about what if this, what if that, what's that format look like at the time in this incarnation of the writers group, all the above, you know, he wants the instantaneous feedback. He wants the, the gut, the knee jerk reaction. He wants to hear that immediately, but he also wants everybody to, regardless of what you think at first, try this on, give it some thought. The, the way it was presented to us was intriguing because we had a lot of talent and the, way the shows were one was a cable cast raw and the other was broadcast on UPN. That's intriguing in and of itself. So you have two potentially different audiences to cater to. We were doing shows of what happened on Monday night. Raw was part two would happen on SmackDown afterwards. And then you'd catch everybody up on Monday, the next Monday and what have you. This enabled us to slow down and be able to, the talent that's on Monday doesn't have to work on Tuesday and, and vice versa. So you could have more talent exposed, but you're not exposing as many people as much, if that makes sense. The same people as much. Because the same guys that were working on Monday night were also working on SmackDown on Tuesday night. Now you got two separate crews. That part was very intriguing. Um, I know we're going to talk about this a lot today, but I've always been curious. The first half of the draft lottery was live on raw, but the second half was on WWF.com is the thinking here, you know, let's use this as a way to sort of drive traffic to the website. And cause we've got the website monetized with ads and whatnot, and we want to get as much traffic there as we can to sell future ads as well. Or is it simply a function of, Hey, if we're going to make it a legitimate draft, we can't fit it all inside of raw. So just throw the leftover shit on the website. No, it was a conscious effort to drive people to the website and to get traffic up there because we wanted you. Okay. You wanted the draft is going on folks. So if you want to know who goes where the rest of the night, go to WWF.com. And plus trying to get all of that into a two hour show would have been almost impossible. So when you guys are, are sort of chewing the fat on, Hey, what if with all the writers, is there anybody who's sort of anti sort of shuffling the stars? Because you guys had sort of spoiled the audience at the time you were going to get rock and stone cold on raw and SmackDown, and you're going to get Hulk Hogan on raw and SmackDown. And so now when it's sort of one or the other. Is there anybody who sort of has hesitation about splitting it up or is everybody on board with we're oversaturating the stars and not exposing the bottom half of the roster, which is really what we need for house shows. I think everybody was excited about it. And to my recollection, everyone was happy that, oh my God, thank God we don't have to have everybody on both shows anymore and excited about the possibilities of given new guys, new opportunity, because a lot of those guys that were perceivably stuck in the middle now have an opportunity to be on top. They now have an opportunity to step up and have new life on a new show. Let's go back in time a little bit. Ric Flair came back to the company the night after survivor series, 2001, 
And he told Vince that he had bought Shane and Stephanie share in the company, which led to the famous shot of Vince trying to yank his own ear off, which we've talked about in the archives. And Flair and Vince would then wrestle in a street fight in Atlanta, the Royal Rumble from 2002, with Flair, of course, going over. And then Rick goes on to face The Undertaker at WrestleMania 18. But in storyline, he had to return 100% of his control back to Vince if he lost. And Rick agreed. But then the board reserved the right to review the ownership status after WrestleMania. They ended up doing that, and that's when the decision was made to extend brand, the brand and have Rick in control of raw and Vince in control of SmackDown. So let's sort of back up. Did you guys know at survivor series 01, when you brought flair back in and he was going to be co-owner of the company that this might be where it led to, because you sort of indicated a minute ago that you thought that happened around Royal rumble time. So when you bring flair back, what was supposed to be the payoff for that? I don't know. There was necessarily a payoff. It was to bring Rick back as a character and have him a part of the show. But at that time, bringing Rick back for the, no, that was not, let's bring Rick Flair back for a draft and he'll take care of raw. That wasn't the plan at that time. Well, I mean, you sort of mock that, but the reality is Rick wasn't contracted to come back as a wrestler. Rick believed that he was done wrestling and he was just going to come back and be an on-screen character. And then of course, Fast forward two months and he's fucking working the Royal Rumble. Um, <laughs> well, that that is true. He was he was being brought back as just an on screen character, and then, like I said, before you know it, he's he's in the damn ring with Vince. Is this so? That was funny to us. Is this when the whole general manager thing really took hold for WWE? Because it has been one of the most repeated storylines for as long as I can remember. Uh, you know, all about who's in charge of this show, who's in charge of that show, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I guess it really was the birth of it. When you, when you look at it like that, it, it, it was. And for years, you know, the funny thing about it, especially in the WWF, was that people just accepted that President Jack Tunney was making matches and making rulings. And we never had to have Jack Tunney on TV every week and right. didn't have to hear him say it and all these other things. And every wrestling company in the world operated that way. You know, you had your fictional Charlie lay in Amarillo, Texas, or, uh, Willie Gilsenberg in Pennsylvania, wherever the hell they're from or making these fictional matches and making these rulings. So we had done that for years and now you had Vince is the owner in the, storyline with Steve Austin that now you have a heel owner that Vince then became convinced you couldn't do it any other way. You have to have someone in charge. There has to be someone that people can hold accountable for what's going on on air. And that's how the general manager kind of came to be. Who was in love? with the general manager concept, because it's hung around this whole time. Is it Vince McMahon? Is it Stephanie? Was there somebody who was always sort of championing the need for a general manager because it felt like a quote unquote legitimate sport? No, it directly came from Vince. Okay. Let's talk I mean, that. That's where it came from. And I think people jumped on because it was, it was what Vince wanted. When did you guys sort of realize, cause you said, no, we didn't bring Ric Flair back to run a brand. But then of course you did, 
when did you realize, Hey, he's going to be the guy? Well, he was there and he was, he was brought back as a character to be that, that figurehead on TV. He was already there. He was already in place. Now to me, what hurts that, you know, is we, we did do the match at WrestleMania where he loses a hundred percent, but the next night he's got it back. Yeah. That, so that's, that's where I was going with that. You know, what the fuck Shane is man? If he loses to undertaker is gone forever, but he's back. Run, you know, just run SmackDown. Why, why does that happen? I mean, I know Vince just decides, God damn pal. Nobody cares. Yes. That's what happened. <laughs> I mean, in but this... he thinks, you know, I mean, again, the audience is forgiving and the audience does accept it. And they're happy when their favorites come back and overcome the very next so night. It, a lot of times it doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And, and to me, you know, a, a, a stipulation guy if your stipulations don't mean anything, it's hard to sell another one. However, they've proven that wrong time and time again, because we, we keep doing it. And, um, that just was always frustrating to me. You know, what's frustrating to me is the new board over at wrestlingobserver.com. They just overhauled that. It's not as enjoyable as cares? it was before. Did you like the old board better at wrestling? I've never seen the old new and could care less about anybody's board. <laughs> You know, you want to know how I feel about it? <laughs> Fuck Dave Meltzer. Or as I like to say, FDM. Now let's talk a little bit about the business at the time. Total revenues uh, for the quarter were $100.2 million, which is down 10% uh, from that time last year. So in 2001, this same quarter, it was 1112 It's down 11 million bucks there. And the net income was 9.4 million compared to 11.7 million, uh, the prior year. So nearly 20%. Do you remember there being, you know, the thought process in, Hey, we need to do this brand split because revenues are down or was it strictly creative in your opinion? Strictly creative. Okay. Um, Meltzer would write, however, included in that net income breakdown was the favorable impact of a $4.6 million government tax break related to the discontinuance of the XFL. In Meltzer other words, all this? yes. Okay. In other words, actual wrestling profit for the quarter was only 4.8 million. So your net income went from 11.7 to really 4.8 because you got a $4.6 million tax break from the government. So it is quite a, quite a dip here monetarily, but again, you're saying the money had nothing to do with the decision. Well, less, mostly creative, right? That's what I said. Okay. Just wanted to make sure, um, everything's down, you know, television rights are down a little bit. Live events uh, are down. Live attendance is down. Pay-per-view revenues are down. All the metrics is, uh, or that's not the way you say that plural, whatever roll tide. They're all down. Um, is there a conversation in early 2002 about business being down at all? Or is it? No, just, I mean, and again, in, at that point in 2002, I was living in Houston. I see. So I'm coming, I'm coming in for meetings. I'm seeing everybody at television. I'm coming in every other week into the office and the rest of my time is on the phone on conference calls with everybody. I'm not in the day-to-day office. 
It's and just, when I was there, I was only in creative meetings. It's just weird to see, you know, when you've got this stacked of a roster, how much the business really dipped. I mean, I think most people regard WrestleMania 17 as the best WrestleMania of all time. And it did huge business, but it was significantly down for the company by 18 and then even more by 19, the buy rate for 19 was way, way down from 18. Um, so it's just interesting, you know, creatively, it feels like Vince is sort of responding to the dip in business saying, you know, I don't know what they want, but if they liked it, when we had competition, we'll create some, um, well, again, that, that goes back to, you know, we, we were thinking about that before WrestleMania 17 with the purchase of WCW. So that was always in his head. He hadn't pulled the trigger yet because in his head, WCW as a brand was going to be strong enough to combat all that. And it just wasn't man. It, it, it just, it didn't work. So he had to create his own. Well, and he's really trying, um, some new things at this time, you know, the NWO arguably sort of reinvigorated the business and he recreates the NWO and brings them back in. And he does that almost against everyone's vote. I know we sort of talked about that on our NWO episode, but when Vince sort of floated the idea, it wasn't met with uh, a lot of support amongst the staff, right? No. And to the band, I think everybody, uh, I wasn't there for that vote. I heard about it from practically everyone in the room, but no, no one was in favor. No one was in favor of bringing the NWO back. I would say almost everyone was in favor of bringing Hogan back, but, but not necessarily the NWO Nation Hall that they didn't like the package. I think you're the only person in wrestling who says Nation Hall. I think everybody else is Hall and Nash. Hall and Nash. Yeah. You, yeah. you sort of marched to the beat of your own drummer, but we knew that from the wrestling observer newsletter. So, Hey, Fuck, you know what? <laughs> Fuck him. And I was just going to say, fuck you. I just love that you're fired up and I can just say one thing and you're motherfucking again. Well, I mean, because you, I mean, that is the epitome of fake news and fake bullshit. No, it's not. It's a- and actually, you know what? I mean, he, he wrote this week when someone basically said that he was only 12% correct. He said, I take that is a great compliment when JBL responded to him. He took it as a compliment that he actually got acknowledged by John Layfield and that Layfield pointed out how inaccurate he was because I take that as a compliment. So he himself admits that he's inaccurate most of the time. Are we not supposed to believe what he writes? You do. So why don't you report that? I feel like you need a his Jim, words. I feel like you need a Jim Cornette right now. His words. Motherfucker. <laughs> I needed, I needed, why don't you report that? Dot, dot, dot. Motherfucker. Um, the torch will switch gears here. Wrote big show has oh, been a new person backstate. Are, are you going to be so honored? We can't even do the goddamn show today. Go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, here's the thing. I know that this upsets you, but you do recognize that the majority of our audience reads the observer and the torch. So when you motherfuck everyone who reads it and participates, I'm not motherfucking the people that read it. Okay. I'm just letting them know that what you're reading is fiction. You might as well pick up a national Enquirer. or actually no, the one from the UK with the, the, with sun. the Martian boy, the sun, right? Yeah. I don't know with the beast boy or whatever the fuck they are. Boy, you're just, you're all over the place. 
Uh, big show has been a new person backstage. Now that the original mentor Hulk Hogan is around, uh, show seems to be especially excited and hangs around Hogan a lot. All reviews for Hogan's backstage conduct have been glowing. He is cordial to everyone and doesn't act like a big star. In fact, he pulled Josh Matthews aside and told him that he and his son watched tough enough and loved him on it. So glowing reviews from Hogan here in the torch sort of supports what you were saying. Hogan was just cool with everybody, right? You know, for the most part, uh, he really was, you know, Hulk comes in and Hulk does talk to everybody and doesn't really big dog anybody. And at this time, I think he just wanted to get along, you know, and get through with as little hassle as possible. Big show being seen as a new person backstage. Is it fair to say that at different points in big shows career with the WWE, he would run hot and cold to where he was excited to be there and then just pissed off and had a chip on his shoulder and just a grumpy, honorary dude. He could be. Yes, definitely. Big show had his grumpy in his, uh, temperamental times. However, you know, Paul White's just like a big kid. Uh, one of the most lovable people you will ever meet. And he has his moments where he gets down and he gets frustrated and he could be grumpy at times if he didn't feel things were going his way and he would let people know it. But for the most part, I think you would find most people would tell you that big show is one of the sweetest people they'd ever known. So did you notice a change with Hogan's return that big show was more motivated? I don't know if he's more motivated or not. He was happy to have his buddy around that he could hang out with because he hung out with Hulk in Tampa and he, he did, he looked up to Hulkster. So to be able to travel with him again and hang out with Hulk, he's happy to have, you know, happy when your friends are hanging around. So he probably was in a much better mood. This is from the torch. So you don't have to have an aneurysm. Um, Vince McMahon wanted Shawn Michaels to return to the NWO, but others vetoed the idea. Michaels was in Toronto for WrestleMania and discussed a possible return to the WWF scene with McMahon and the plans were pretty much set. But when Kevin Nash and Scott Hall were presented with the concept, they rejected it, arguing that he wouldn't fit in with their group on or off camera. And if he returns, it should be as a baby face, at least at first. Michaels, notoriously immature and abrasive, didn't do himself any favors when he gave Triple H the cold shoulder backstage at WrestleMania when Triple H said hello to him. Michaels was talking to someone else at the time and brushed off Triple H's greeting. An observer said he looked a bit slim in the body and fat in the face with thinning hair at WrestleMania. The NWO threesome has made it clear they have no desire to have anyone join them at this time. Michaels, image-wise, might be a tough fit anyway, since his look is now sort of cowboy oriented. Although the last time he was on TV regularly, he was doing the DX gimmick, which wouldn't be a stretch to fit in with the current NWO image. So lots to digest here from the torch. Do you remember Vince sort of presenting the idea of Sean, maybe joining the NWO and that being met with some reluctance? Sean uh, was definitely somebody that we had considered to be a part of the NWO. Um, I don't remember, you know, I don't remember Vince wanting Sean to be a part of the NWO. He felt that, you know, everything that, that you just said was more along the lines of Vince's feelings because he felt that DX was so strong identified with Sean that 
there was talk about not doing necessarily the NWO, but doing the click and doing different things with Sean and Hall and Nash and what have you. Uh, the part I found so damn hilarious about what you, what you just read there was Michael's notoriously immature and abrasive. Didn't do himself any favors when he gave Triple H a cold shoulder backstage at Mania when Triple H said hello to him. Who the fuck is reporting this shit? You know, where does that come from? Uh, so let's get back to the first draft episode. Of course, we were talking about Shawn Michaels a little bit. And the rumor and innuendo is that even Hall and Nash weren't really up for him joining the group. Do you remember them sort of uh, puffing their chest out at that idea? You know, Hall and Nash during that time, they weren't really puffing their chest out about, about a whole lot of things. You know, they were also on their best behavior, just trying to, to get along with everybody and the old, Hey man, whatever you guys want to do, whatever you guys want to do. Um, we were throwing a lot of different things out there and Vince had his ideas on what he wanted to do. And he wasn't really keen on Sean just coming back and being put into that group. He felt that frankly felt Sean was bigger than that group and, and didn't want to do that. Probably asked their opinions. Taylor reported in March of 02, the XFL will haunt Vince McMahon forever, including now in reruns of the Simpsons. The new episode of the Simpsons on Sunday opened with Homer sitting on his couch, waving an XFL flag. He said he was looking forward to the opening kickoff and to see who won the million dollar game this year. His wife, Marge told him that the XFL had folded. And Homer asked how she knew that. And she said, well, because the MVP of the league last year told her that. And she ran into him at the beauty shop, sweeping up toenails. So they're sort of trolling the XFL here on the Simpsons and having a good time with it. Um, does Vince have a good sense of humor about that? Or is that something that would still sting a little bit? Do you think? No, he had a sense of humor about it. You have to, (laughs) I mean, what are you going to, what are you going to say? And to be immortalized on the Simpsons. Come on. That ain't bad. You know, we've all heard about the relaunch of the XFL, but news came out this week that Charlie Ebersol, Dick's son is going to be starting a new football league. Also called the Alliance of American football. What do you think Vince's reaction is to hearing that his former business partner, son is now going to be in direct competition with him. I think he's probably intrigued by it. Bring it on, little Ebersol. I'll whip your ass like I did your dad. I love you for that. Uh, So Raw is the number one show for the WWE. Do you think that that's why Vince wanted to have control of Raw and Rick on SmackDown? Or how was that split decided? Uh, No, because Vince actually wanted to go to SmackDown and felt that, you know, it's, it's funny. Vince would be the first one to tell you that he views raw and SmackDown equally. However, anybody that's ever worked there, especially on the creative team would tell you that Vince's baby. And I don't know what it's like now with SmackDown being live, but Vince's baby was always raw and and raw got all of the attention until raw went off the air on Monday night. And even then, he was still revisiting it late Monday night and in the Tuesday morning before he would focus on SmackDown. So I think Vince putting himself on SmackDown was kind of his, his way of saying, all right, now I'm, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to show you I'm focused on it. 
and that's just me speculating more than anything. Well, and let's talk about one of my favorite words, the word brand on March 18th of 2002, Linda McMahon announced the brand extension. And she says the company is going to be split into two brands. And I feel like this is when the word brand became a fucking buzzword, uh, in wrestling and amongst wrestling fans. And you know, it's sort of never left. I mean, people are still talking about their brand. I mean, even Vince Russo named his podcast group, the brand chat me up. Why was this such a buzzword at the time? Because it was a buzzword in industry. It was all about what your brand is and, and, you know, Pepsi, the brand and PepsiCo owning, you know, yum and all this other stuff. Everybody was talking about their brands. They weren't talking about their companies anymore. They were talking about their brands and it was the buzzword in, in industry and in business. So of course we've got to be on the cutting edge. It must be topical. These are our brands. They're not shows, they're brands. But it, doesn't that feel like industry speak, except you're saying it on TV? Like, why Thank wouldn't you. you just call it leagues or federations or whatever the old wrestling terminology was? Well, I'll, I'll tell you why not federation was obviously because we were in the process of changing the name from WWF to WWE. He hated that. So <laughs> what had been the name forever, all of a sudden, that's the worst thing you can do. Right. We're not a federation. We're a brand. Right. So he wanted to be bigger than a federation. He wanted to be bigger. He wanted to be included in the talks when you're talking about PepsiCo and Coca-Cola and Lucasfilm and, and everybody else. They were brands. They weren't just companies. Well, but I guess what I'm saying is I don't think at the time fans of Lucas films were saying, man, I just love this Lucas films brand. But in, in the media, they were referring to brands and that was the big buzzword. So I'm not arguing that. I just found it funny that they introduced yeah. it to the audience. Um, so of course the brand extension, as it were, is going to start on April 1st, 2002, which would have been hilarious if it was just an April fool's day joke. Did you guys know, or did you envision rather that this draft would be like an annual thing that you would sort of hit the reset button after every WrestleMania, or was that not the original idea? That was not the original idea. Now that is an idea that we discussed internally, the creative team saying, okay, you know, every year we can shake it up, but to Vince, man, you're doing this draft. We split brands and never shall the two mingle for years. And, and that was it. When they're on SmackDown, they're on SmackDown. And, and we don't discuss Raw. We don't talk about Raw. And they don't cross over. Um, and you see how that worked out. Yeah. Um, was there some sort of a contingency plan? Like if they tried it and it tanked? Did you guys have to have conversations with the television companies? Like, Hey, I know you've been used to seeing everybody on UPN or you've been used to seeing everybody on TNN, but we let them know what we were doing, but there was no contingency plan. And it wasn't a, what do you think about this? It's, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. Um, there was no contingency plan because in Vince's 
mindset, a contingency plan thinks that the plan that you have is not good enough. So you're already planning for failure. You just plan for success and move forward. If you have a contingency plan, then what's the use? Linda McMahon in a press conference around this time started talking about the direct TV deal. And she says it was signed under the old terms. In <laughs> other words, saying that the WWF essentially had backed down. Do you remember what a big deal this direct TV situation was for you guys? Because allegedly direct TV for the no way out pay-per-view would have had like a hundred thousand buys, which is a pretty big deal. If the total is 500,000, do you remember, you know, sort of the ramifications of this direct TV negotiation and, and the effect it was having on the company at the time? You know, I think that losing anything, you know, is going to have an effect. And if it is, if it was indeed that much, I doubt very seriously, it was that much. However, it was significant and direct TV, man, they were catching on, especially at this point. So you know, you want to have everything you can and you got to pick your battles. And sometimes you, you've got to tap out and say, okay, I give up. We'll go ahead and, you know, <laughs> we'll give in because you're at that point, then you're losing money. So Vince didn't want to lose any more money. One of the ideas I had at the time that never really made sense to me was it feels like if you're doing a real brand extension, that you're going to have 24 pay-per-views. But that winds up not being the case. And, and Linda McMahon even says here at this press conference that the original plan was 24, but now it's just going to be 16. So instead of one crew getting 12 and the other crew getting four, you're going to have to do joint pay-per-views, which sort of defeats the point of a split at all. Right? Well, I don't, that was, that wasn't, uh, we didn't have one doing 12, one doing four. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. We, like, how would you get to 16? Like clear, my point is clearly it's not going to be so lopsided where one group of guys is going to get three times the pay-per-view money. Another guy, or the other, no, group no, of. that, no, 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 that, that's easy. It was WrestleMania, Royal rumble, SummerSlam, and survivor series were the extra four. I got it. I, what I'm saying is, isn't it sort of silly that if we're going to have a brand extension, but we're going to do joint pay-per-views. Yeah. And, and especially when we're told, you know, that they can't intermingle, but Vince was like, they can have the same matches on those four big ones. They each have their own pay-per-view. Okay. They each get six. Okay. So they each get six pay-per-views. So that's 12. Yeah. And then there's four that will be super both shows. brands. Yeah. Super shows. So it's difficult to do <laughs> again, when you're given the mandate, you can't mix them. So we were just having, you know, matches from SmackDown and matches from raw. that would be a part of SummerSlam and survivor series rumble and mania. Again, if we're saying you can't mix them, it feels like maybe one show gets rumble and SummerSlam and the other show gets survivor series and WrestleMania. God damn. Can't do that. Who gets rumble? Isn't that amazing that he can be so steadfast in some ways and then in other ways, just nothing Dude. makes any fucking sense. And, 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 and when you would try to argue it or not even argue it, just say, why not? Or that doesn't make sense. God damn it. Makes perfect sense. It's the rumble. Everyone's got to be in it, but they can't 
mix. And the Rumble, they can. All right. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. You're applying logic to an illogical situation. Again, doesn't work. You know, we get questions all the time, or I know you don't ever get on Twitter for real, but I get questions all the time that say things like, when are you guys going to do it? I get on Twitter it? all the time for real. All right. Go ahead. I get questions that are like, when are you guys going to do a Vince McMahon episode? <laughs> and I'm like, dude, fucking every episode is a Vince. McMahon. And I think this, this is as much of a Vince McMahon episode as any, because it's sort of like, uh, you know, you get to peek behind the curtain into the mind of a madman a little bit where God damn it. They'll never touch. They've always got to be separate. Well, I mean, not Royal rumble. God damn pal. Who's going to get the rumble? <laughs> Exactly. But, and, and here's the crazy thing about that. It makes sense to him, right? It makes perfect sense to him. Well, it's like a, a villain, right? A good villain in a movie believes he's right. He doesn't think he's doing wrong. He thinks he's doing right. And I'm not comparing Vince to a villain. I'm just saying he has that steadfast conviction that it's so easy. How do you not see it? Bruce, we've yes. got a baby face on our hands. Yes. Now, you know, and, and this, this would come across sometimes, you know, where, where Vince and I would have our arguments about different things and I would screw something up and I would be told that was the worst piece of shit, you know, worst piece of uh, television he's ever seen in his life. And I would look at him and go, why have you kept me around for 20 years? Um, and then he would look at me and go, God damn pal, I'll put our record up against anybody. <laughs> it's like. A minute ago, I was, I was the worst producer on God's green earth. And now, but made sense to him. Bruce, get your chapstick ready. Uh, Hunter does an interview around this time on WWF.com. And he says, you know how to get a push in this business going out every night and performing so good that they have no choice, but to use you. It's not a thing of you just hanging around and biding your time. And sooner or later you get a push, you go out and make it. So they have no choice. I mean, he doesn't mention anything about dating the owner's daughter here at all. Why do you hate Hunter? I don't. No, I, you do because you all all you do is the only reason he's in his position is because he dated the boss's daughter. I didn't daughter. say he that. The boss's daughter. When did I say that? Well, that's your in, that's your inferring. That's what you infer. I didn't say that. Oh yeah, you just did. Well, I mean, poke holes in what he says here. You know, you don't, you don't hang around and bide your time and sooner or later it's your turn. You go out and make it. So they have no choice. You do. And you look at guys like Mick Foley and Steve Austin that did just that from the rock and undertaker and everybody else. Those guys went out and made their way and they made people notice, you know, Steve Austin is funny when people talk about doing jobs and everything, Steve Austin, when he first came in, did jobs, every single, didn't win a match for almost two years, did jobs every single night. But he got over by his work in the ring and made people notice and had people talking about him. And that's how you do it. Uh, around the end of, uh, April, 2002, Mark Henry won the Arnold Schwarzenegger classic world's strongest man contest. Uh, even though the 96 Olympics didn't go how we maybe wanted, if you add up the powerlifting totals and the Olympic lifting totals, and very few guys did both. Probably one of the strongest dudes that ever lived on earth. Uh, and he was announced this past week as going into the, uh, hall of fame. 
Oh, by the way, we got invited to the party too, but it's during the time that our show's going on. So, uh, I, I, you know what, I guess your next question, do I think, uh, Mark Henry is worthy of that honor? And I do, I think that Mark has done some incredible things for the business from his notoriety and the things that he's done in the powerlifting world and what have you, uh, Mark's paid his dues in the business. And I think he's a great representative of the business and definitely deserving. Uh, and I love him personally to death. I mean, I feel like he's one of the most universally well-liked guys. I mean, there is probably a handful of guys who've had a problem over the years, but by and large, you know, he's been there 22 years and he's made a lot of friends in that locker room along the way. He has, he's helped a lot of people along the way as well. Um, I don't think that there's a mean bone in his body. Uh, always has a smile on his face. And I think that when he first came in, he didn't know how to act and people took his instant fame as, oh, he's getting this undeserved push and what have you. Mark didn't know any better. He was a young kid that Vince wanted to make a star out of. He did everything that was asked of him. He bust his ass. Um, man, we, we rode him, <laughs> uh, through the years and, and expected a lot more out of him than other people. And he always delivered. Uh, and, and again, I love him to death. I love him as a human being and a friend, but I'm happy he's going in. We should mention that if you haven't checked it out in a while, you should check out busted open radio. They've got Mark Henry on there all the time and he's phenomenal on that program. And I'm looking forward to seeing what's next for uh, Mark. Well, yeah, so am I. And I think Mark will always be a part of the, the WWE brand and what have you, you know, what's funny. You just mentioned busted open radio. That's just now like a hall of fame, hall of fame radio. They got bully Ray <laughs> and now Mark Henry, both co-hosting shows on there. So, and, but they've also got fucking coachman, right? So, wah, oh, wah, well, wah. okay. That just two discounts. out of three ain't bad. <laughs> of course we're, we're messing with coach. Uh, he's a buddy. So let's talk oh. about the uh, world wildlife fund. We get lots of requests about this. We've touched on it briefly in the past, but I want to talk about it here because around this same time as the first draft, you guys lost another legal battle to the world wildlife fund. And this time it was when you guys appealed, uh, regarding the use of the initials WWF. And this is all going down in British court quote, the key points in the court case and the appeal are as follows. The wrestling company agreed in 1994 to stop using the initials outside the U S they then broke this agreement. The wildlife group went to court to get an injunction to force them to stick to the agreement. And the wrestling group argued that the agreement could not be enforced because there was no confusion and it was a restraint of trade. The court ruled this was irrelevant. The World Wildlife Fund, which is now the World Wildlife Fund for Nature, originally trademarked the WWF initials in 1961. The original agreement from 94, which the WWF signed, called for the wrestling company to not use the initials WWF in writing anywhere in the world using World Wrestling Federation or WWF E would be okay, however. And to not use the initials orally to sell merchandise anywhere in the world except the United States. If the house of Lords were to reject the final appeal, the wrestling company would not have to change their name. Instead, they just have to stick to their original agreement from 1994. The company would have to be referred to in writing primarily as either the world wrestling federation or WWF E 
Uh, all the web addresses with WWF and the URL would have to be changed. And the WWF claims that this rebranding would cost them in the neighborhood of $50 million. The judge, however, couldn't care less. So we know what's going to happen like a year later in 2003, but you guys are still in the midst of fighting it, but you were there when this deal was signed in 94. Do you have any memory of this agreement from 94? Not really, other than, you know, how we did refer to it. And I think that there is, again, it all comes down to interpretation and, and how you can get away with it. And if you say WWF champion, um, that was a descriptor, different things. But it was, you know, we lost, licked our wounds, had to move on, change the company name. It was disheartening to lose because I don't think anybody in their wildest dreams ever confused the world wildlife fund with the world wrestling federation. The WWF used to be known as the WWWF, the worldwide wrestling federation from 63 until 80 when it was renamed the WWF. And of course, in 02, a few months after this, uh, you guys would rename it. WWE. And, and we've talked about that a little bit when we covered shows from Oh three, how did all of this affect Vince at the time? I mean, is this simply a matter of, you know, God damn it. It's $50 million or is he sort of emotionally invested? I mean, I would think you'd have to be in this brand, the WWF, right? Then he was oh, without a doubt, man. It, it was our identity and Vince's one of those people that wants to take a negative and turn it into a positive. So he looked at this as an opportunity to rebrand <laughs> and looking to get away from wrestling. That was the big, you know, mandate from people in corporate is we don't want to be identified as the wrestling company. We want to be the entertainment company. We do more than wrestling. We do movies. We do this. We do that. So, Entertainment on our end was the buzzword. Right. In describing what the new name would be was constantly, no matter what, it, it all ended up with, you know, coming back to entertainment. I think it might have been uh, Kevin Dunn in the boardroom at the studio that said, what's wrong with World Wrestling Entertainment? It says everything that we want it to say. You keep your wrestling, but it says that we're entertainment. And it was a eureka moment of, I love it. You know, people were going off on, on every other conceivable <laughs> initials and acronym you can come up with. And that's where we ended up. And Vince loved it at that moment. You said every other conceivable. So give us some other names that you remember. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, you know, enter entertainment federation. I mean, it was and, and everything. There were a lot of federations, you know, because they felt that was important. There were those of us that felt you have to have wrestling. So it can be, um, God, I can't even remember half of them. It, Some, it was everything you could possibly imagine. You know, Paul Heyman's was extreme <laughs> wrestling. Um, but Vince just wanted to be, you know, entertainment. Somebody actually pitched entertainment federation. 
No, just, yeah. Oh, it was like entertainment or world entertainment, something like that. We, and there was confusion there. I think there was already a <laughs> we network. Oh, that's um, so great. But, but the, what are you there, doing? There people... I'm, I'm going to go watch. Wee! Yeah. And there were people that wanted that. There were, man, there were people that wanted wrestling out of the name. Who wanted wrestling out of the name? I probably. I, the 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 like movie people were well, when you say wrestling they they think wrestling they don't think movies Vince and um in marketing well you know if we take wrestling out we can go anywhere you want to go Vince but we were wrestling that's what we were and it goes back to Jim Cornette and his rant of not calling the wrestler a wrestler you call him a superstar what the fuck am I supposed to call somebody who wears goddamn wrestling boots wrestling fucking trucks and wrestling in a goddamn wrestling fucking ring on a goddamn wrestling show and we ended up with world wrestling entertainment you know there's a lot of rumor and innuendo out there that you know Vince has all these words he doesn't like and supposedly he doesn't like the word wrestling can you confirm or deny he doesn't like referring to, you know, he wants it to be bigger than wrestling. He wants it to be entertainment. He wants them to be superstar, superstars more so than entertainers. Um, the whole divas name, it's they're more than women wrestlers. They're divas and wanted to coin that phrase. But they're women that are wrestling. Okay, they're divas. It became WWE divas. Now they're back to being, you know, women wrestlers. Let me ask you, though, when you were sort of freestyling people who were suggesting different names and some people wanted the name wrestling out, was Vince one of those people? Um, I don't want to say that he wanted wrestling out. He listened to it, though, and he tried it on. Yeah. He wanted entertainment in. He wanted something all... Uh, the, the, the all consuming descriptor was world wrestling entertainment. It was right there before us, but you we were looking to get away from the WW and, and all that stuff. That's what we thought. You know, Vince McMahon has that famous scene in beyond the mat, which we've covered in our archives at youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle where he's taking a big swig of water, you know, out of a bottled water. And he says, we, we make do movies, pal. Yeah, we make movies, pal. Um, is that really like the way Vince saw the product and the way he talked about it behind closed doors? Or is that him just sort of turning it on for the cameras? Oh, absolutely. That's how he feels about it. That's what they do. I mean, dude, we, we wrote movies in several parts. And you go back to guys like Dusty Rhodes and man, th that's what Dusty did. Baby, we make movies here. Well, I'm writing movies. I ain't writing no wrestling shit. In fairness, though, you know, in movies, they don't usually introduce a character and they have no idea what the payoff is. So we're going to bring Ric Flair back, but no, we didn't know about the draft. Just fuck it. Put him on. No, we, had, we had ideas of what to do with this character and different things, but there wasn't this great. It wasn't like the old days. You know, in the old days, guys came in for a two year run and, and then you're out. You right. have to start dating an end date. We, we didn't do that. We brought characters in and never knew when the fuck they were going to end. Did, uh, was Stephanie involved in any of these meetings where you guys were sort of renaming the company? Do you remember what her feedback was at the time? You know, Stephanie, uh, most of the time would mimic 
whatever Vince wanted, you know, and she would just try and stress that back to us. Got to be entertainment, you know, it's got to be entertainment oriented. And she would go off in that direction because Vince would be so damn vehement about how we describe ourselves. And it starts here, goddammit. So sometimes it becomes confusing as hell, but at the same time, you, you just have to forge ahead and eventually something something's going to stick and something's going to come out of the damn thing. How close did we get to having WWFE instead of WWE? Well, that was the official name of the corporation, by the way, was WWFE. It was world wrestling federation entertainment. And that, I don't, I forget when that name had taken place, but that was the official name of the company to try and get away from the, WWF thing, but that was, I don't know if that was the, um, stock exchange logo deal, but it was like, that was the official name of the company somehow, some way. But I'm saying in terms of the way it was presented on TV, was it ever considered being called WWF? Yes. Why did Vince veto that? Do you recall? He, he, he started hating the name federation. I see. Didn't want to hear it. Take it out of your vocabulary. So when you guys decide that you're going to do WWE, um, you know, this is obviously a big deal even back then, but you had WWF.com. Did you guys own WWE or somebody sort of cyber squatting and you had to negotiate with that person? Do you recall? Because all of a sudden a big piece of your business, you may or may not even own at the time. I have no idea. I'm sure they did their due diligence on that. All right. You ready to get fired up? I I do. You know, I go back to, it's funny you bring that up because I go back to WWF and when this internet thing started, when it was all on AOL. Well, even before that, okay. When the internet, you know, was big thing and, and folks, I was alive when there was no internet. What? Okay. Yes. How old are you? And do you know who was responsible for grabbing every WWF, like from WWF.com? WWF shop, WW, I mean, everything, WWF TV, everything WWF you can imagine. Barry Dodinsky. You remember Barry Dodinsky? No. He did the on air and he was, um, he sold gimmicks on air with the little headset and everything. He wore a piece and Barry Dodinsky came from the world of, uh, trading cards like baseball cards and things like that. And he sold it on the shopping network. Very successful guy came to work for us to head up our merchandise and do a lot of things. But Barry was the one who was like, we're buying everything WWF. And that's where a lot of that WWF conflict comes. Cause we bought it up everything on the internet. We grabbed every name you could possibly grab with WWF in it. And so we had, you know, we had a lot of that shit lost in the end, but still so it's funny, you know, how you and I go over names and shit. Let's grab it. That's what we were doing back then. Well, you ready to get fired up? I've been fired up. I mean, get all right. Here we go from the torch. A lot of the undercard guys are being asked to take a $25,000 cut from their downside guarantee. They also ask wrestlers with downside guarantees well above 150,000 to accept cuts to 150. So it's not just the 100 to 150 wrestlers being asked to take pay cuts to 75, 
there are about 40 wrestlers who are asked to take pay cuts. According to our estimates, your response. First time I've heard that. And again, I wasn't involved in talent relations at that time, so I wouldn't have heard it, but I didn't hear it from any talent. That's the first time I'm hearing about that. Would it surprise you since revenues are down and they're going to have new expenses with a brand split and they're about to be spending a bunch of cash on rebranding the company that they're asking guys to take pay cuts. I mean, that feels like the normal course of business. If, if revenues down, you take a fucking pay cut. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Okay. I'm just telling you that, that I wasn't involved in it, nor did I know about it. Did you get a pay cut in this time? Nope. Conan on wrestling observer live said that Ray Mysterio jr. And Eddie Guerrero had both been offered deals, but that Ray for sure hadn't signed yet. And he indicated that Ray's offer was very low. And when asked, he says he wouldn't have taken the job for that amount of money. Wade sort of freestyles way Ray's offer, by the way, is rumored to be a $75,000 downside. That seems ridiculously fucking low. Do you Com- go ahead compared to what compared to what I imagine a guy like Ray Mysterio would be making in 2002, but, but Ray Mysterio wasn't a top guy, even at WCW at that time. And he, uh, again, he wasn't anything that, and he wasn't somebody that Vince was highly, you know, seeking. He was a unique talent that we were interested in, but there was no, oh my God, I've got to have Ray Mysterio. Vince didn't uh, really know anything about Ray Mysterio until Ray came to work with us. Right. And once you get to know Ray and you see Ray in action and you see and you feel that charisma and you, you, man, when Ray Mysterio performs, you feel it. And it's, it's a whole different vibe. And, and that's what Ray needed was to be around Vince and for Vince to see it and feel it when he has other people telling him sometimes Vince can be like, God damn, I don't get it. I don't see it. And he wasn't a top guy. He wasn't a draw in uh, WCW. So that's all Vince had to compare it to in Mexico. Ray walked on water drew big money and, and did very well. But to Vince at that time, I so saw, I, I could see, hell, I could see the $75,000. I could, I could see, Hey Ray, we'll give you a hundred thousand dollars. I don't know what you compare that to because Vince didn't see anything for Ray at that point. Let's talk about Eddie for a minute. Eddie, of course, had previously been with the company, but was released due to personal issues. Uh, but he's trying to come back in here and had been extended an offer. Do you think that because of the way Eddie left the first time the WWE would have offered him a lower deal just to sort of hedge their bets and see what they had and sort of test his mettle, so to speak? I bet money on it. Absolutely. They would have offered him a lot less. He had, he had screwed up and he needed to come back and, and prove that he was a different person, that he was reliable and dependable. Do you, in your opinion, if he was offered much less, would he understand why, or is that something you would have to sort of lay out for him? I'm sure I, you know, knowing Jr. at the time, I'm sure Jr. laid it out to him. Speaking of contracts, Kurt Angle around this time just signed the new five-year deal. Kurt Angle is becoming a major player here in 2002. Um, is Vince sort of feeling like he's hitching his wagon to Kurt in 02, You think? 
Yeah, Kurt was a stud and a half, and we wanted him long term. He just wanted to time up. The lightweight title was abolished around this same time, and X Pac is the last champion. You know, this is uh, after you guys had sort of flirted with the idea on and off for like five years. Nitro really presented the cruiserweights in a different way than the WWF, and it became an exciting part of WCW's presentation. And I think a lot of people sort of remember that era of the cruiserweights, sort of like the golden era, so to speak. But that never really worked with the WWF. Is that because it's the quote-unquote land of the giants, or were people not really behind it? Did you not have the right mix of talent? Why don't you think the lightweight title was a bigger deal? I don't think we had the talent to pull it off. There was definitely the talent out there to pull it off. WCW had, they had three hours. They, they had more time than we did when they were doing it and they presented it as it was special. So they made it special. They presented it in a special way. We didn't do that. (laughs) We almost presented it. I hate to say as an afterthought, but there were times that, you know, Vince was like, people want to see the big guys that they don't want to, they don't want to watch somebody. This was always the analogy. They don't want to watch somebody that looks like their next door neighbor or God forbid is smaller than their next door neighbor. They want to see larger than life characters. They want to see, you know, these, these monsters, so to speak. So it was never presented in my opinion, it was never presented in an equal to championship as let's say the WWE championship or even their continental championship. So it was a perception that the audience had, but I dare say the audience had it because of our presentation or lack thereof. Around this same time, Vince was getting some criticism for the way Stephanie McMahon had been presented on TV with the idea that, you know, maybe she was too prominent and too many of the storylines and she had been booked into too large of a role. And allegedly Vince was able to sort of just blow off that criticism backstage. But when he sort of asked about it in public, he says things like, you know, it just so happens. They're all very good performers, both Shane and Stephanie. And they both actually prefer to be on the other side of the camera producing and directing. And I find that interesting because here we are 16 years later and they're still very prominent on both shows. Did Stephanie want to be a TV star? I don't think at first that she did at all. Um, (laughs) this will, this will blow everything up. The first time that Jim Cornette met Stephanie, the reaction was God damn. Why the hell is that Demi Moore looking bitch not on TV? Um, something along those lines. And, and it was Russo and, and Cornette who first pitched Stephanie Bean on TV in the whole undertaker, uh, Mr. McMahon scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and through the years I've never felt, you know, from, from Vince, Steph and Shane, and even more so, you know, Linda, they would all, you know, say to you, no, I don't want to be on TV and not want to be a character on TV. Vince, first of all, their last name's McMahon. It's real. Okay. They really are my children. They really are the, you know, the came from my nuts. I don't know. Um, Vince pushed it and Vince makes the final decision. And there would be times that we would write him out at the request of Shane and Steph. God damn, we need 
Stephanie. We need Shane. And Vince will ride him right back in. It comes out that you guys were holding auditions essentially at the WWF headquarters for potential color analysts. And you were going to include some guys who were on the roster, some names that sort of shocked me in my research, D'Lo Brown, Raven, Stevie Richards. These are the names that were leaked out. Of course, we know eventually the job winds up going to Taz. Do you remember anybody else who was considered or anybody else that somebody had high hopes for that could have been in that Taz role? Ron Simmons. Ron Simmons was somebody that was considered for that role. Um, you know, off the top of my head, I, I don't remember anybody else, but I, from Raven, you know, going back to the Scotty Flamingo character, man, back in the day, he was a damn good color commentator and he did color commentary up in Portland. I was the one that suggested him to put him in that role because I had heard his color commentary from his days in Portland, Oregon, uh, Dilo we thought would be good. I don't remember who suggested Stevie Richards, but he was another one that had a gift of gab and was quick witted. And that's what Vince was looking for. Ron Simmons, man, you know, backstage Ron is, is quick. And plus he has that damn voice that's so powerful. So there, there were a few that were considered, but Taz got it because shit Taz messed up his back or his neck, whatever the injury was. And, um, here he was, had the gift of gab was local lived in New York. So he fit, man, he fit all of the, <laughs> he checked every box. Let's talk about the draft. Keller would report. Very few people know how the roster will shape up. In fact, wrestlers weren't told this week, which roster they'll end up on next week. The writing team has already split the roster and has two separate lists saved on a computer. They are not, however, revealing the split to the wrestlers yet. Other than a likely handful of exceptions like the rock triple H Austin hall, Nash Hogan. Obviously this is something you guys wanted to sort of keep secret, but why is this because you didn't want it leaking out? You didn't want to have to deal with a lot of backlash and people sort of trying to jockey for position to get it changed. What was the thinking in let's sort of keep it hush hush. Didn't want, didn't want it leaking out. And he also wanted, which Vince still does to this day. He doesn't tell guys because he wants a genuine reaction. Right. So if someone knows you're going to get a canned reaction is his feeling. And uh, with the exception of, I don't even think Hall and Nash knew where they were going. Uh, Austin knew rock knew taker knew Hogan probably knew. But beyond that, there weren't, there weren't a lot of guys that knew where they were going. Vince McMahon held an all wrestlers meeting at raw on Monday afternoon regarding the roster split. He assured the roster that the order of the draft was going to be storyline based and have no actual reflection on their standing within the company's hierarchy. And he said the wrestlers who are part of the SmackDown tapings and not part of raw would be working non-raw house shows on Mondays in a different town to earn their payoffs. Most wrestlers had a renewed sense of optimism thanks to this brand extension. And that probably makes sense. Like if you're a guy who's not a rock or an Austin, you've got to see this as an opportunity to have more TV time and work a higher spot on house shows, right? Yeah. And there were guys, every one of them, man, was trying to corner us and, and say, okay, Hey man, where am I going? Where am I going? 
And the answer was the same to everybody. I can't tell you. Um, you're going to have to find out when everybody else finds out. Well, you know, yes, I do know, but I can't tell you. And that was the line, man. That's what, what everybody was told. And everybody, like I said, with the exception of those top guys, they didn't know. And they, they got the genuine reactions. All right. Some were legitimately pissed. Some were legitimately happy. The overall feeling of being able to be on on Raw or SmackDown and part of a smaller group and maybe get more TV time, I think was appealing to everybody. When Vince holds one of these all wrestler meetings, do the guys just sort of sit in the stands and he stands before them? Do they all gather around the ring and he's standing in the ring? Where's where's this meeting happening before doors open? Find a room backstage, meeting room or something like that, and bring everybody in. So maybe he could get everybody together in catering if the room was big enough or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Something like that. But it's never in the arena. It's always in the in an office type setting. We've had them in the arena, but most of the time it's either in catering or like where we have our production meeting and stuff like that. Is there sort of uh you know, when everybody sort of assimilates, a hush falls over everybody and then Vince starts talking and then fields questions at the end almost like a press conference or sort of describe the scene for us. Everybody's in the room. Vince walks in and starts talking. Everybody shuts up. You know, sometimes guys will ask questions and Vince addresses everybody's question and then moves the hell on. We got work. God damn. We got work to do. Do you have some fun? Do you remember anybody in one of those Vince meetings ever asking something stupid that <laughs> annoyed Vince and everybody was sort of cringing like, Oh fuck. Not now. Don't ask that. There's always one. There's all, you know, there's always one. It's kind of like when you walk into a bar and you know, there's going to be that one guy, the one guy that's going to start some shit before we leave here tonight. That one guy is going to do something stupid. Um, there was always somebody that would ask something silly. Who was one of the worst that you guys were like, Oh fuck. I hope so-and-so can keep his mouth shut today. Oh fuck. I don't know. Um, oh shit. I, you know, again, you put me on the spot like that. I don't really remember we'll move on. one guy. Were you guys considering bringing in any outside names as like a surprise pick? Was that discussed and, and who were they? No, it really wasn't because Vince felt that the roster, the way that we had them, uh, especially of, of top guys was evenly distributed and that. He didn't want to bring in anybody new, felt it would take away from the, the roster that we had. If we needed to do something, we could do something around SummerSlam on whichever brand he chose to. So another change that's happening here is Heat is going to be taped before Raw and Metal and Jacked would be taped before SmackDown. And this episode of Raw has a new theme song, uh, new graphics, a new logo, a new set. Was this always the plan? I mean, when did the, the set redesign and the graphic package and all that stuff, when was all of that set in motion and was it always the plan to debut with a draft or were you just sort of looking for a reason to roll all this out? Once, once we decided we were going to do the draft, Vince wanted new looks for everything raw and SmackDown both. So he wanted it ready to coincide with the draft, all new look, all new graphics, all new everything. So the draft had a little controversy before it even happened. Triple H wasn't in the draft. And the reason given was that he was wrestling that night and Jericho's not in the draft for that same reason. Um, 
Austin wasn't in the draft because he had a clause in his contract that prevented him from being drafted. So Austin seemed to somehow know before the draft was even announced that if he didn't want to be drafted, he could add that to his clause. What are your memories of that? And of course, this that's is a, all storyline. That's a crafty son of a bitch. You've never had a draft before. Well, I'm going to put him a goddamn contract. Can't get drafted. Isn't that hilarious? Case one day Vince is sitting there. He's like, Hey, I'm going to draft stone cold. Oh, uh-uh, ain't happening. <laughs> I mean, <coughs> some silly add on to that. Jericho and triple H are in it. Cause they've got a match that night. Damn it. <laughs> what? It just was. Yeah. And Steve has to be on raw. Steve is raw. <laughs> so, okay. Then that's cool. Cause it would make sense. If Vince gets first pick, you pick Rock, and that's a damn good choice. Your two biggest stars, you know, Rock and Hulk. I mean, uh, Rock and uh, Austin. So Flair comes out, next person he picks is Austin, right? Doesn't that make sense? Yes. God damn it, no. Why would Steve be in the draft? (laughs) Okay, why would Rock be in the draft? You know, Rock... Layeth the smacketh down. So of course he would have his contract so that if there ever is a draft that he's got to go to SmackDown. Uh, silliness ensues. It really is kind of ridiculous when you think about it. Trying to apply logic to an illogical situation there, pal. Okay. Let's keep going here. Um, Vince wins a coin toss to get the first draft pick which I guess I can get behind, you know, doing a coin toss. Then Taz would beat Mr. Perfect with the Taz mission in a minute and 53. It's nice to see Taz get a win. Uh, and Vince comes out to make his first pick. And as you said, he selects the rock. And I guess that makes sense. I mean, SmackDown was literally something that the rock said. So that's supposed to be the rock show. And then we see a stat screen that shows all the info on the rock. Whose idea was it to have like a graphic up there and list their stats, almost like it was the NFL draft. That's exactly what it was based on. And that is the draft that most people associate with drafts. So we wanted to be as official, you know, it's a real draft, man. We got stats on everybody. Wouldn't you? Is that a, is that a Michael Hayes ism? I think it was, I'm sure Michael was behind it a lot, but I think it was part of uh production. And them coming back, you know, making this look like a really slick produced affair. Uh, so then rock comes out and Vince gives him some rules. Rock can't put his hands on Vince. He can't shove his foot up anyone's candy ass. He can't use the phrase. It doesn't matter. Uh, it does matter to Vince as rock and Hogan have a lot in common and fans call Vince an asshole. And Vince tells him to stop calling the rock that, and he reminds everyone that he made Hogan, but he also made the rock. He brought him into this world and he can damn sure take him out. And Vince starts to leave before being stopped by the rock. And he makes sure, um, that, you know, he's done. And then says, finally, he's back at Penn state. And seeing as how this is rocks very last raw, he wants to go out with a bang. So he reminds everybody with some of his favorite raw memories, the rock and sock connection, uh, winning the titles, shoving Vince's face up Rikishi's ass. And he asked Vince, 
if he really wants to take him away from all this. And of course, Vince tries to speak and rock shut it down and says, it doesn't matter what he thinks. And he says, Vince didn't make Hulk Hogan or the rock. It was the people who made the rock. So rock gotta be the first pick. Was there any debate about who the first pick should be? Or is everybody sort of uniform? Hey, if we're not going to draft Austin rocks, gotta be it. That's simple. You know, it was, there was nobody else. When you look at that roster, who the hell would you pick for SmackDown? You know, and it had to be the rock started off with a bang. Is the idea in pulling Austin out to not upset the rock? Because if you draft one or the other, no matter what, the other one's pissed. No, it was Vince's where the hell else would Steve go? You know, it's God damn. He's raw. He wouldn't be drafted. Stone Cold will not be in the draft. But if you're drafting everybody, why wouldn't he be in the draft? It makes no sense. You know, and even it was pitched with Triple H and Jericho that, all right, you know, if uh, you still draft them and whoever, you know, the loser, they've got to go to whatever show. The winner still is going to go to both shows. But, uh, no, it makes no sense. Why would they be in the draft? Frustrating sometimes. Yeah, it wasn't like a legitimate sports draft at all, but let's keep the ball rolling. Dave Meltzer would give your ad read right there. One and a quarter star. You know what Dave Meltzer can give me? Blah. Blah. I've been a subscriber for 21 years, man. I don't give it's a good, fuck. So. You're the one wasting your money. No, it's, our it's, show's free. It is, but it's and it's much more entertaining. But it's than filled, it'll ever it, be. It's filled with uh, Wrestling Observer news and notes. Yeah, a bunch of lies, and then I tell the truth. So Flair is walking in the back, and he comes out after a break to make his pick, and his pick is the Undertaker. But Taker doesn't seem happy, and he throws some stuff as he heads out. Inside Vince's office, Kurt Angle complains about not being selected first. An undertaker walks in and says he couldn't believe Flair picked him, noting that Vince had assured him that Flair would not. And Vince vows to make it up to Undertaker in some way. And Taker gets in his face and says he better live up to his promise. Then we see Booker T and Christian beat Edge and DDP in two minutes and eleven seconds when Booker pinned Page. And backstage, Angle talks Vince into making him his second pick. And then Angle hugs Vince but reiterates that he should have been his first pick. So Flair walks on stage and picks the NWO with his second pick. Uh, help me understand here, Bruce. How was an entire faction drafted as a single pick? It comes out as Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, God and X-Pac. Damn it, pal. Where one goes, the other follows. You gotta, you gotta recruit them both. You gotta draft them both. I want to apply logic to an illogical. You want to, you want to feel more, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you feel a little more frustration? You know, as we're going back and reliving this this week, it, it's funny that one of the favorite co- quotes of Vince came up, and, it, and it's like when we would come up with something and Vince would look at us and, and say, this is how you spent your creative time, and that's all you come up with? And 
we would come up with things to try to make sense out of it. And then we would get, well, of course they go together. CNWO. You wouldn't just take Hall and then Nash. You got to take the NWO. Made sense to him. Backstage, Kurt Angle tells Vince he knows of someone who's about to return from injury and said he knew Flair had already spoken to the individual. And Angle whispers the name to Vince, who then announces that Chris Benoit is his third pick. So Benoit is actually drafted while he's out healing from a neck injury. How does this come about? Because eventually <sighs> Benoit comes back and he's on fucking raw. You mean we drafted him to SmackDown? Yeah, he can go to raw. They need him. <laughs> you know, um, it was later. Nobody remembers that draft. God damn, pal. They need him on raw. You see, this is what tickles me when people get so fired up on Twitter and they're arguing about the most minute point. And it's like, they don't even take it this serious. You know, that's disappointing as a fan, but it's true. I mean, look at this shit, but you know, uh, in, in Vince, in Vince's mind, it makes sense. Not Hogan to anyone pose. else. Yeah. Hogan must pose, man. Backstage. We see the NWO tell flair. He's not going to be able to control them. And Arn walks into the room and tries to pull flair away from the conversation, but the NWO members won't budge. And Flair announces that Kane is his third pick. And this of course causes the NWO members to become nervous and they leave the room. So, so far we've got the rock undertaker, Kurt angle, the NWO, Chris Benoit and Kane. So we're, we're down to pick number seven for keeping up at home here. We see Trish beat ivory with a bulldog in about two minutes and 10 seconds. Hopefully you're seeing a trend with the matches. They're all two minutes. Vince takes the stage. How long are the draft picks? <laughs> Vince takes the stage and announces that Hulk Hogan is his fourth pick. So seventh overall for Hollywood Hulk Hogan. And then Flair appears on stage and announces that Rob Van Dam is his fourth pick. So really process this. Kane was drafted above Hulk Hogan and Hogan and Van Dam are both fourth overall for their respective squads. It's an interesting time in professional wrestling here. Uh, backstage Vince tells angle. He wanted Van Dam because the intercontinental title would come with him and angle volunteers to wrestle Van Dam and win the title. And then we see Hogan and rock agree to wrestle the NWO in a handicap match later in the show. Back on stage, Vince announces that the Billy and Chuck tag team is his fifth pick, which of course means SmackDown is going to feature the tag titles. Um, so, so let me interject here at this point though. Yeah. The, you know, you brought up the titles and everything. So the deal with the draft was whatever champion was drafted, their championship came with them and whatever brand got those titles, that title would be exclusively on that brand. So the tag team titles would go to SmackDown and, you know, the intercontinental title would say with Van Dam. however the hell we did it, but it was going to be no tag team champions on raw. And we weren't going to do, it just was okay. Um, and somebody said, so we won't ever have tag matches on raw. 
<laughs> God damn it, no. You just won't have tag team champions. They're only on SmackDown. Again, it made sense to him. Did, did Hulk Hogan care what number he was drafted? If no. He, okay. It just feels like he's always been very careful with his character. And we've all as wrestling fans sort of heard the phrase, that doesn't work for me, brother. Um, he had no choice. I mean, it wasn't, yeah, he had no choice. I get he had no choice, but that doesn't keep him from saying, what about this? I don't know if he did or not. There, nobody was listening. Okay. Can you give me any sort of feedback or insight about any of the well, draft no, picks? I, for I, I don't so know far? if he did. He didn't to me. It was, where am I going? And Vince told him, you know, he was going to SmackDown. He's one of the ones that knew ahead of time, but I don't think he cared where he went or it like in what order probably felt he should have gone first. Did anybody care? Talk about it at all. Yeah. We all felt that he should have gone second. No, I didn't mean him. I just meant that any of the boys come and say, you know, I, I don't know about being behind this guy. I really feel like I ought to be. No, the only ones that the only ones that really cared after the fact were those that weren't drafted on on the show itself. We're like, what the fuck? Where am I going? Tune in to WWF.com to find out. Oh, fuck you. That's what you told them. Get on the website and start clicking refresh. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall uh would team with X Pac and they beat Hulk Hogan and the Rock by DQ when Kane interferes. And during the match, a crawl appears at the bottom of the screen and listed the previous draft picks just like they would on ESPN, which is kind of fun. Just in, like in the end, Kane runs out and helps Kane or helps Hogan and rock, uh, which leads to the DQ and backstage. We see Vince storm into Flair's office and accuse him of stealing the undertaker and the NWO from him. And Flair says he doesn't have to take his abuse and picks another one of his favorites Booker T. And Vince counters by picking edge, noting that edge had beaten Booker at WrestleMania 18. So flair picks the big show and then Vince takes Rikishi. So at this point, it feels like as far as the storyline, they're just going with, well, this guy could beat that guy. Oh yeah. Well, this guy can beat that guy. Right? Exactly. And it was a way to get a bunch of draft picks done quickly backstage without having to go out and make the big presentation. Uh, Jeff Hardy with Matt and Lita would beat Billy with Chuck and Rico at a minute 53 in the end, Matt and Lita interference would help Jeff get the pin by roll up and backstage. We see flair select Bubba Ray Dudley and another part of the backstage area. Vince counters flares pick by selecting Devon Dudley. So this is something I've wanted to talk about for a while. Billy and Chuck drafted together the whole fucking NWO drafted together. Bubba Ray and Devon, let's split them up. What the fuck? No one said we couldn't split tag teams. You know, the, the reasoning for it was we were, we were looking to do something different with these guys individually, obviously. Um, so that was, that was the storyline. Okay. You pick, you know, you pick Bubba, pick Devon, but then again, it flies right back in the logic of Billy and Chuck go as a team. NWO goes as a faction, but you can split the Dudleys. What the fuck? It made sense. Did the Dudleys know before here that they were getting split up? 
No, I mean, they, they had an idea that we were going to do it. Um, and we had talked to them about splitting up and going into singles and doing some different things. But, uh, yeah, no, nobody knew. So it was, it was a shocker to them. How was that met? With a what the fuck. And then you start explaining, okay, here's, here's the ideas that we have. And we're looking to, to do singles with you guys. Um, feel that you guys have more, more of a future. If you go into singles run for each of you and it's kind of, you know, you're, you're at that point, what do you do? You're in it. We got to move on. Who in the back amongst the writers, the office believed that the Dudleys were better as singles than tags. I did for one. Uh, I actually, I actually thought that both would prosper as singles. I thought both of those guys were, were really good in their own right. And I thought Devon being in a tag team relied on Bubba. And I thought Devon cut some damn good promos back in the day of, you know, the, 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 the old Dudley boys and stuff. I love Devon's promos at the same time. I felt that Bubba, that if you took both of those guys, um, I was definitely of the belief that they would be better on their own and that they could both have some pretty damn big singles runs. We had the, the preacher gimmick and that was something that Devon was comfortable with. Um, obviously it didn't work and I was wrong. Uh, I don't know. You're wrong you know, about Brian, 88% of the time. I think, no, I'm, I'm, I'm hardly ever wrong. There was this one time when I was wrong, but I was actually just incorrect because I thought it was wrong. But, um, so chat me up. Did you, did you guys already sort of envisioned this, uh, Reverend Deacon or, or Reverend Devon character before the split? Like you already had it in your back pocket. Yeah, we did. We, we had that idea for him. Yes. And had he sort of been privy to that? Of, hey, if we were to break you up one day, here's what we would think. We had been talking to them about breaking up and we had been talking to them about singles runs and, and different things. And I, in particular, did speak to Devon about it. Yes. So they're not really surprised that it happened, but maybe they weren't expecting it to happen here. They were surprised by it because again, when we were talking about what ifs and talking about different characters and what would you feel comfortable in, they didn't know, Hey, we're doing this at the draft and this is what we're going to do. Why did Bubba keep the gimmick and Devon became a preacher? Wanted something different for Devon. And he was receptive. Yes, very. Very much so. Was Bubba relieved he didn't have to become a priest? Devon didn't become a priest. He was a reverend. Uh, well, Big I difference. I, I'm not saying it's not. I'm asking. You know, if you were going that way, did he, was he concerned that I'm going to have to get some sort of silly religious gimmick too, or am I happy? I get strut ass in camo. I think he was happy being in camo. So the ring introductions take place for Regal Rikishi and the match never actually takes place because Brock Lesnar runs out and attacks Rikishi and leaves him laying. And Paul Heyman joins Lesnar in the ring for a brief celebration as Regal returns to the back. And then Vince walks on stage and announced that Brock Lesnar is his next pick. 
and Flair walks out and says, it wasn't your turn. And he selects Lesnar instead. And Vince tries to trade Flair as next two picks, but Flair refuses. So Vince picks Mark Henry claiming he had just as much potential as Lesnar. And then Flair picked William Regal, which Vince followed by picking Maven and the hardcore title. And Flair picked Lita as his final pick. And then Vince and Flair closed the draft segments by arguing over which group Austin would wrestle for. Chat me up about Maven. Vince wanted the hardcore championship, damn it. The title comes with whoever was drafted. So I get a champion. So the perception was more champions on SmackDown. He got a championship and got a champion in Maven. All righty. You, you know, you got to start making stars somewhere. You, you got to start trying things with people and elevating them. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But if you never elevate them, you never know. So Rob Van Dam beat Kurt Angle by DQ at two minutes and 54 seconds. And in the end, Angle pulled the ref in front of Van Dam's missile dropkick for the DQ. And afterward, Edge would run out and attack Angle. And then Triple H beat Stephanie McMahon and Chris Jericho in a three-way in eight minutes and four seconds to retain the undisputed WWF title and run Steph out of the WWF. Late in the match, Triple H and Jericho simultaneously hit one another with title belts and Steph tried to pin both wrestlers, but they kicked out triple H came back with a sidewalk slam on Steph for the win. And afterwards, two security guards dragged Steph from the ring as triple H led the crowd. And what song was it? Na, 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 Hey, 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 goodbye. Or Jim Cornette says, no, 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 motherfucker. Goodbye. Jericho wrote this about the draft in his book. Vince decided he wanted to split the WWE into two separate brands and run them independently. In essence, he was creating his own competition. He booked a draft on raw to decide who would stay and who would go to SmackDown. Everybody would find out what show they would end up on that night, except me. I was ineligible to be drafted because I was in a handicap match with Stephanie against triple H where the winner would become the undisputed champion and work on both shows. I knew I wasn't going to be winning the match and the title, but nobody would tell me what show I was going to end up on. When I asked Brian, he told me I would have to wait until they posted the complete draft results on WWE.com after the show. It was the most ridiculous thing ever. And to make matters worse, I had to start driving as soon as I finished and had no access to a computer. So I was forced to call Lenny in Vancouver to find out where I was going to end up. In essence, I found out my fate at the same time. All of you did. So Jericho is pretty perturbed by this. Do you remember anybody else being really unhappy with the way that sort of played out and they had to go to the website? What was the feedback you got? from anybody else you can mention. Yeah, I mean, guys were pissed. Guys were upset. Okay. Why can't you just tell me show's over? I mean, it's going to get out on WWE.com any minute now. Just tell us. And, uh, that was a mandate. That's what Vince wanted. Vince wanted guys to find out like everybody else did, uh, silliness. I didn't get it. And especially somebody like Jericho, he should have known where the hell he was going before he had, you know, he, he should have been one of those guys. It was top guy knowing where the hell he was going at the end of the night. Um, and sometimes I, I think mandates can go just a little too far and taken too literally, but 
you know, people do what they're told. I did what I was told. I didn't tell anybody. Wasn't my place. If you want to go, if you really want to know, go ask Vince. So it was announced, of course, that triple H being the undisputed champion, he's available to both shows and jazz, the woman's champion. She's available to both shows. Of course, Jericho winds up going to SmackDown because raw, uh, has Hunter uh, going back and forth, but he's going to be on raw most. Uh, and then the March 25th edition of the draft rating would come out and it was a 5.4, only 0.1 higher than the previous week, which was the Monday after WrestleMania, but that did a 5.3 and SmackDown later that same week drew just a 3.7, which was down from 4.3 the prior week. Overall, the raw, the raw uh, rating went up, but just a little bit. But SmackDown went way down. Overall, would you classify this as a success? Was Vince happy with the way the draft came off? Very much so, because I think historically that next week after WrestleMania, you know, the, the night right after WrestleMania is usually a big night. People want to get the results for WrestleMania. But the next week, you know, it would fall back to whatever normalcy it was before the whole WrestleMania push. And so, yeah, it's considered a success that we kind of maintained and kept people for another week, but they went back to where it was. Let's run through the rest of the picks. Um, Kidman would come in at 21. Bradshaw would come in at 22. Tajiri would, uh, come in at 23 and he was the cruiserweight champion. So that made the title exclusive to SmackDown. Uh, Stevie Richards came in at 24. Chris Jericho came in at 25. So Billy Kidman, Bradshaw to Jerry and Stevie Richards all ahead of Jericho. Matt Hardy's That's going, because he had a match that night. Damn it. Matt Hardy going 26 to raw ivory, 27 to SmackDown Raven, 28 to raw Albert, 29 to SmackDown Jeff Hardy, number 30 on raw. He's behind ivory Raven. Albert, Tajiri, Kidman, Stevie Richards. The Hurricane is 31 to SmackDown. Mr. Perfect is 32 to Raw. Al Snow is 33 to SmackDown. Spike Dudley going to Raw at 34. Lance Storm going to SmackDown at 35. D'Lo is at 36. What a number this is. 37 is SmackDown. He's behind Spike Dudley. Um, Sean Stasiak comes in at 38, just one behind DDP. Then Tori Wilson, Terry, Scotty, too hottie, Jacqueline, Stacy Keebler, Goldust is falling all the way down to number 44 to raw. Christian is right after him at 45 on SmackDown. Trish Stratus is 46 on raw behind Terry and Jacqueline and Stacy Keebler and ivory. Uh, test is 47. Just incredible is 48. Farouk is behind just incredible at 49. Then boss man, Taz, Tommy dreamer, hardcore, Holly crash, Holly, uh, Val Venus, mighty Molly and Perry Saturn is number 57. So the first 20 picks are live on raw on TNN uh, picks 21 through 57 are over at WWF.com. In hindsight, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Um, you know, the end result I think was good, you know, splitting, splitting the brands and, and having, you know, the, the different rosters, 
on the different shows. Um, the, the funny thing about it was, is still, you know, people look back and revisionist history and think that, Hey, there were two writing teams at this time, man, we were all still one big writing team and they didn't split the writing teams for a little while after this. So the teams weren't even split. And there was, there was talk of when this originally took place, when Vince is talking about the brand split and having two different shows that we would split the writing teams and, and, and really have the teams in competition with one another. That theory goes out the window when you, you say we're going to have two different brands are going to be completely separate, but still on Thursday night or Friday night, whenever the hell it was SmackDown at that time that you're doing recaps of raw on the show and you're doing raw update things and you're, you're plugging raw and different things. It's, it's a tough sell, man. And, and, and we really wanted internally, we really wanted them to be completely separate and be completely different. And every time we turned around, there was something else smacking us in the face. Well, how about, you know, that goes down on March 25th, three days later, it's the first show after the draft. It's SmackDown. It's in Philadelphia. Uh, Booker T would fight DDP to a no contest when Brock Lesnar interferes. Brock Lesnar's on raw, by the way, uh, Kurt angle does an in-ring promo, asks for a moment of silence for Stephanie McMahon. Vince comes out, does a promo about triple H. Um, flair is on the show as well. He runs raw by the way. Then we get Billy and Chuck <laughs> to beat the Dudleys in the tag titles. Now, of course you may recall the Dudleys were just split up ones on raw and ones on SmackDown. Well, three days later, they're hang in a tag on, title hang on, match. hang on, hang on, hang on. You forgot a very important point though here. Okay. The, the, the draft it, would not take effect till April first. I'm with you. I'm just saying three days later. It's is a little confusing. It is. It is a little. Confusing. I know that just okay. happened three days ago, but we're not honoring it until next. <laughs> Everybody knows that it won't take place for another three days. What? So yeah. funny, man. So funny in the main event of that SmackDown that we weren't supposed to remember. Kurt Angle and Vince McMahon beat Triple H and Ric Flair when the Undertaker interfered. <sighs> The April 1st Raw, of course, is the first Raw after the draft. It's in Albany, New York, and this is when it officially starts. And backstage, we see Ric Flair sitting at a desk, and he holds up the new undisputed WWF title belt. And he welcomes viewers to the new Raw and promises that the show will be more exciting than ever. And he holds up a contract and says he hopes to sign Steve Austin to a deal that will keep him on Raw throughout the remainder of his career. Van Dam beats Booker T to retain the IC title. And then McMahon appears ringside, grabs a microphone and says he's at the show intent oh. on signing Steve Austin to a SmackDown contract. And Vince introduces Austin, but his music never plays. And instead Ross tells viewers that Ric Flair had ordered the show's director to cut to commercial after the break. Vince is in the ring with two security guards trying to talk him into leaving, but Vince is refusing. So Flair walks out and has some words with Vince. Big Show comes out and carries Vince backstage and eventually throws him out of the building. Uh, Spike Dudley beat William Ringle in a non-title match. Ringle was the European champ. Uh, and then Bubba Ray Dudley beat Raven to win the hardcore title in four minutes and seven seconds. So, um, 
I'm not exactly sure how this went down because if I'm pretty sure we just said a minute ago that, um, correct me if I'm wrong here. Well, he, he won it on SmackDown the week before, but Maven was drafted. Right. But Raven beat Maven on SmackDown the Thursday before whatever. I follow you. I just read Raven and I thought to myself, wait a minute. Maven. Maven. <laughs> fuck Maven, Maven and Raven. The Maven. I don't the... know what the fuck. It's an Aven. What has the hair and the DDT? The base. Um, so there you go. Bubba Ray Dudley is off to his singles push. Now, here's what I wanted to talk about on this show, though. Flair comes to the ring and he's holding this new WWF title belt and he introduces Triple H, but Undertaker walks out instead. Taker's talking about uh beating Triple H at WrestleMania. Uh, and now we're setting up a match here for backlash triple H and taker, but it's the first time we're getting really good shots of the new title belt. And they made several versions of this belt wrestling belt nerds like myself, call it the undisputed title. And I believe there were the same, essentially the same art, some minor tweaks, but some larger than others. So there's like much bigger versions and much smaller versions. Supposedly Vince wasn't in love with this belt and some of the guys had feedback that they didn't like the way it looked on them. Specifically, Hulk Hogan didn't like the way it made his thermos look. Uh, that's rumor and innuendo. I know you didn't really keep up with belts. You're not that much of a belt guy. What do you remember about this new Joe Marshall designed undisputed belt? Because prior to this, they had the old big Eagle belt, like the one that were most synonymous, probably with Steve Austin and the old big gold that they had sort of brought over from WCW. And now there's this new one unified belt. I know you're going to laugh this off and give me nothing, but I got to ask, what do you remember about this undisputed belt? I loved it. I thought it was a cool looking belt. It it was one of my favorite belts. I I liked it because it was different than the others. Um, I, I don't get into how people's thermos looks. Um, so I never heard that, but, uh, I personally, I like the design of the belt. And I thought it was a cool belt. Uh, our old, uh, friend, uh, belts by Dan may or may not have some artwork. He can tweet out this week, uh, that we will try to get up on our Pritchard show. Instagram undertaker winds up being taken out of that match with triple H that they were trying to put together a backlash and instead Hogan slides in there. So Hogan actually beats triple H for the undisputed title and then loses it a month later. At Judgment Day. Later on this same episode of Raw, we see. You don't want to talk about that match? We've already covered that match. Okay. Uh, Trish Stratus beat Terry in a paddle on a pole bikini match that goes a minute and 18 seconds. Bruce, I'm curious, what's your favorite paddle on a pole bikini match? Um, it was probably the one in Mid South between Missy Hyatt and uh, Dark Journey. We also see Kane beat X-Pac, uh, and then backstage security allowed Vince to come back in the building and flares in the ring and he introduces Austin, but Vince comes out instead and cuts a promo on flair. And eventually Austin comes out and teases. He's going to sign with Vince before telling him April fools. And he gives Vince a stunner and flair starts to celebrate too much. So Austin gives him a stunner, but then he does sign flair's raw contract in the show. So now we've got. SmackDown with Rocky and raw with Austin. 
And this was during the time that Austin's going to go home after WrestleMania. And there's discussion that maybe there's some problems brewing with him and Vince. He wasn't really happy with the way the the Scott Hall positioning was, or his match with him or whatever you want to call it. How do you recall that relationship at the time? And how did they sort of put the band back together? Because he's leaving again in just a couple of months. So it's gotta be contentious here. It, well, you stole the word from me. It was, it was contentious and is you'll hear a lot of guys say over the years, you can go in with a game plan with Vince McMahon. You're going to go in and give him a piece of your mind. And by God, I'm going to tell him this, I'm going to tell him that. And you walk out of the room and thinking, I, I I'm now doing everything that I swore I wasn't going to do when I walked in there and you're happy about it. So that was the relationship at that time. And Vince, you know, they were back. Everybody was hunky dory, but there was still a little contention there. And, and Steve was, was unhappy. And did you feel like maybe not you was the overwhelming sentiment in the office that Vince, not Vince, but Austin was sort of tough to deal with and tough to do business with and not in the right frame of mind or did people really see his side of things? Well, he had, I mean, he had a definite side of things, you know, and for some people they might've viewed him as being tough to deal with, but I always viewed it as he let you know where he stood. He let you know what was on his mind. And I like that because then you're not second guessing. You're not trying to read the tea leaves, so to speak. So if that's tough to deal with, then he was tough to deal with. But for me, I was fine with it. What was the locker room morale like? you know, in the fallout of the draft, do you remember anybody being vocal and, and being unhappy for the most part? I would say that the morale was actually pretty good because there was new hope and there were new slots and guys that hadn't been working on TV are all of a sudden working on TV and they're coming to them with ideas and everything in a lot of respects was feeling new for the talent. And I think that they saw for the first time in a long time opportunity um, in a, in a, uh, I don't want to say a smaller pond, but, uh, maybe a bit, you know, less fish in a bigger pond. If that makes sense. Do you think, um, there was any sort of consideration when you guys were sort of splitting up the rosters about who likes to ride together, that sort of thing. Talked about it and Vince didn't care. So I, I know a lot of people may not know what we're talking about right now, but sort of behind the scenes, not on camera, not storyline wise, not house show matches in real life, guys were better friends with some than others. And so rather than everybody just traveling by themselves, living on the road can be hard. So why not develop a friendship and have sort of a battle buddy? You've got somebody to go work out with somebody to eat with somebody to right up and down the roads with, if you want to somebody to double up on a room, you can cut down expenses, et cetera, et cetera. And people sort of become creatures of habit. But when you've got a draft like this, some of those, you know, little allegiances are split apart and now people are sort of left on their own. And now they don't have their old traveling companion and they've got to sort of find a new one. Do you remember since Vince says, I don't care. And I get that because he is trying to put the best product forward, but he does have to sort of keep everybody 
I don't know, motivated, happy, whatever, or at least has to consider it. Do you remember there being any sort of backlash or fallout about God damn it. I've, I've been with this guy for six years and now we're not even on the same fucking loop. Bummer. And that was Vince's reaction to it. He didn't want to hear it. You know, we brought it up in the beginning and I forget if, uh, I don't know if it was this one, but in subsequent drafts, you know, where there were couples together and Vince wanted them on separate brands because he felt one was stronger on the other brand. He didn't want to hear it. And we were told, do not consider it. This is, you know, strictly creative. It's strictly, you know, what we're, what we're doing for TV and what's best for business. And if some guys, you know, they're buddies and they travel together and that's what they've always done, they'll find new buddies. They'll find new friends. They'll find new people to travel with. It'll be good for them. Did anybody come to Vince and, or anybody in the office and ask to be with whoever they were dating with like ahead of time? Like I I know we talk about, you know, sort of kayfabe storyline wise was somebody like i really want to be drafted number one or whatever blah 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 but did somebody come and say man i've really i've really got to be with this person because our relationship is not going to work out and my life's going to be a fucking mess if she's not here to sort of keep an eye on me and keep my shit together i I think that matt and lita did before the draft you know and just said hey where are we going to end up are we going to be together and the answer was i don't know uh, I don't know if they talked to Vince or not, but once they, they kind of got the lay of the land that guys, you can ask, but you know, asking may hurt your cause more than help it. So leave it alone. Let the cards fall where they may. That's what I was going to ask is it feels like sometimes Vince wants to do shit just to do shit, which is why, you know, whenever Jr is in Oklahoma, he's kissing somebody's ass or whatever the case may be. Was there a conversation with, <laughs> let's just run a social experiment. Let's see what the fuck happens. No, I mean, it, it really wasn't. And he, he really looked to separate that shit. Didn't want to hear it. Cause it didn't want, he did not want it to cloud his decision-making in the end raw winds up with the intercontinental title, the European title and the hardcore title. Was that something you guys didn't think about ahead of time? No, we did. And, you know, SmackDown got what the, the U S title, the, uh, and the tag team titles and just, we did talk about it, but I damn, that's what would happen if it was a shoot draft, but it's not a shoot draft. Mother. <laughs> After the draft, we see, you know, Bradshaw and Bubba Ray get some pushes on TV. Do you remember any of the other positives or negatives that maybe came about as a result of the draft. I think, you know, the, the biggest positive, uh, was Bradshaw kind of getting out on his own and, and being able to get away, came back, you know, there, there were some, the tag teams to me were the negatives, you know, um, uh, not enough. The Dudleys. Yeah. Well, yeah. A, there's not enough, but also when, when you split a strong team, like the Dudleys, it wasn't a good decision. Uh, that's hindsight, but at the time it was something that we were trying. Um, those were, those were probably the only, really the only regrets that, that I can sit there and point out, man, that, that I wish we wouldn't have done. 
Of course, we know that after Brock Lesnar wins the undisputed title from the rock at SummerSlam, he goes exclusively to SmackDown and then triple H is just awarded a world title on raw. And now we have a world champion on both shows. So if we've learned anything today, it's that the only thing for sure about Vince McMahon is that nothing's for sure. Did you guys ever have anything planned for the draft that didn't wind up happening that you recall? No, not that I recall it kind of, you know, played out like we did now when we, when we talked about the whole thing, one of the things that was discussed, you know, was ratings. And I remember Vince saying, and this was reminded, you know, I was reminded of this, that, you know, he brought up, man, ratings are going to go down, but by God, we need to take two, you know, two steps backward or take a step backward to take two steps forward. And he knew, and he accepted that ratings may go down after this and we need to, we need to be prepared for that, but I'll accept it for the long run. And he, he brought that up from the very beginning. What about the announced teams and how those were shuffled? You know, we've never really talked about that before, but go ahead. They weren't shuffled on this one. No, I'm I'm saying, was it discussed? No. Why not? Um, do, do, do you get announced teams in the draft in the NFL? Well, you, you know, did. I mean, it just wasn't, it just wasn't discussed. We, we figured that the announced teams were part of the brand. It didn't get discussed until Vince thought it would be great to throw the announcers and everybody into the draft. It's just funny to me that, you know, you say things like, you know, would the NFL do that? But then the NWO got drafted together. So I would love for them to be like the, the, the Dallas he's Cow- a quarterback. He's got to bring his center. The Dallas Cowboys select <laughs> the offensive line from Iowa. Like what the fuck? I need somebody to do that this year during the yeah. draft. It's if I take the quarterback, I got to take his center too. They're used to each other. God damn. He likes the contour of his ass. It fits. My gosh. Well, listen, let's get to some questions and I want to do this sort of rapid fire with you right fast. We've got a lot of questions coming up, but I do want to remind everybody that we've got some tremendous shows coming your way. Uh, next week we have got what came in second place in our WrestleMania poll, and it's going to be tremendous. It's WrestleMania four. Uh, so go ahead and set your calendars. Uh, we're going to be enjoying that one on March 30th, and it's going to be WrestleMania four. Now the week after that, uh, just a couple of days before WrestleMania on April 6th, we're going to cover Goldberg in the WWE. And that's going to be tremendous because that's the day he's going into the hall of fame. And what are we going to cover the following week? Well, set your calendars, boys and girls, because April 13th is going to be all about, and I think this will be fun. The first time that raw beat nitro in the ratings, it went down on that same day, which is kind of fun. April 13th, 1998. That's when we finally see Mr. McMahon and stone cold in a match. It's tremendous. The following week on April 20th, we're going to cover Rob Van Dam. And then the week after that on April 27th, it's going to be all about backlash. We'll have a handful of backlash shows for you to choose from, but we've got the next run of shows mapped out for you. And they're going to be tremendous. We're fired up for this. If you've got a question for WrestleMania four, you can ask it right now on Facebook or Twitter. Facebook is facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle. Don't forget. You can check out your morning deuce. And if you've got questions, you can leave a question in the comment section of any of those videos and Bruce will get to you the very next day. If you have a good question, 
You can also ask a question about WrestleMania four on Twitter. That's at Pritchard show. And we'd love to have your feedback there as well. So Bruce, let's get to some questions about this first draft. We'll wrap it up and we'll get out of here. Are you ready? I'm ready. Kerr wants to know due to the networks that each show was on, did that factor into the decision for which superstars went to which brand based on their audience? Somewhat, you know, I mean, rock for SmackDown, Steve for raw. And, and those were probably the two biggest ones that we felt identified with those two shows. One of the things I've always wondered there is, you know, eventually you guys would try to sort of program SmackDown to a more Hispanic audience. You would give guys like Ray Mysterio a bigger push on that show. Was there any sort of, uh, strategizing based on, Hey, we think there's an opportunity for a bigger Hispanic audience on this network on this night, or was it just sort of arbitrary? Just let's just try it on SmackDown. Well, no, uh, the UPN audience and, and the feedback that we had gotten, they did have a strong Hispanic demographic and we saw that they were, you know, that demo was strong on UPN. So we catered to it. Michael wants to know why was this held at Penn state? Uh, did Vince just say we're doing a draft next week and Penn state happened to be the booked venue? I think that's, the, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what happened. It just, we knew what day we were going to do it. It didn't matter where, where it was really that wasn't that important. It was all about television. Josh wants to know, was there ever any consideration in the draft or superstar shakeup of giving someone a franchise tag to sort of lock that one superstar up on a brand? No, I mean, I think, I think again, going back to rock and Austin rock was really identified with that SmackDown brand. Doug wants to know, was there ever a plan for Mr. Perfect at this time? He went very late to raw was Vince down on him at the time. I definitely felt like he had more to give if given the chance. Kurt was kind of winding his career down at this point and there just weren't, there weren't any plans for him. He was there to get guys over. Adam wants to know, have you ever looked back and pinpointed this as the reason so many people stopped watching? I don't think that that many people did stop watching. I think that, that the audience split and like I said, yeah, we, we lost some people. We definitely did. And we knew that before we went into it. Uh, John wants to know in the initial year after the draft, which superstars do you think benefited the most from the brand extension? Layfield definitely did. Um, later on, I think, I think Eddie Guerrero did. I think Benoit did. Um, guys like that. There were a few Matt wants to know, seeing how thin the tag team division was, would it have not made more sense to focus the entire tag team division on one brand rather than create two sets of essentially useless titles. We did the tag team title was only on SmackDown. There was no tag team title on raw. Well, eventually there was eventually. Yeah. But in the beginning we didn't Taylor has a great question. Who the fuck thought it was a good idea to have Mr. Perfect tap to Taz with two Z's? Peterson or Chia. How does that sound? You got a Taz impression. Bro, what the fuck else is he going to do? Andrew wants to know, was there ever any consideration to bringing in developmental prospects as a televised draft pick as a means to launching them? I think that's a pretty good idea. You know, you could have had a quote unquote rookie 
and showed his stat line and Vince or JR used his old blue chipper line that he used with the rock. Any consideration for that ever? That's a great idea. We, we had talked about different times of being able to take some of the developmental television and spotlighting some different talent from time to time and bringing them in that way. But just wasn't something, you know, Vince was of the belief, you know, when you bring someone in, if you bring someone in as a star and as a main eventer, then that's how people will perceive them. And you got to bring them in on top and in that role from the very beginning. And then that's how people will always see them. If they, if they see them, you know, grow, then they're always going to remember them in that way. I, I don't subscribe to that because I, th- I look at guys like Randy Orton. Yes, Randy went to developmental, but when Randy came in, man, he was that blue chipper. And people have seen Randy Orton grow into this mature talent. Um, you know, a lot of guys, The Rock, I, I think people want to see him grow and progress. Vince just feels that that makes him less than. Chris wrote, I've heard that the SmackDown roster was stacked because the feeling was since it's a tape show, it has to have the better talent. Any truth to this? I think people would argue that Chris wants to know if WCW had more prominent wrestlers come over when it was purchased, would WCW have replaced one of the two main brands? It feels as if the brand split was destined to be WCW. Yeah. That was the idea of buying WCW. Uh, Nathaniel wants to know looking back now. Who do you think had the better roster? SmackDown. Hmm. For me, me, the the, the roster I wanted to work with was probably SmackDown. Jim wants to know, was there any jealousy or heat from the ladies roster about Lita being the only female pick during the live portion of the draft? Not that I remember. Paul wants to know, what do you think was the best thing to come from this first draft? Just getting the brand split and allowing more people time that wasn't available beforehand. Colby wants to know who would Bruce consider to be the biggest draft bust of the first draft? Unfortunately, Devon. Uh, Chris wants to know who got mad at their kayfabe draft number. Anybody? I don't know if anybody did. Uh, Andre wants to know which superstar hated switching brands the most. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, damn, I don't, I don't know that anybody did per se. I think that, um, initially there were those that felt not being on raw on the live show was less than, but I don't know that anybody was, was really upset about where they ended up. Well, and I don't think you're going to be upset with where you end up. If you go subscribe to our YouTube channel right now, we need like 1500, maybe less by the time you hear this to click that subscribe button. It's free to subscribe. Eventually all the archives are only going to be on YouTube. So there's a little pro tip for you. Go subscribe right now. We're going to be uploading all kinds of new content. You guys are asking, Hey, are you guys ever going to do one of these on video? Well, you never know, but I do know that we're going to get you a bonus show. When we get to 20,000 and we're like 1500 away. That's all we need. We're going to give you a bonus poll and it's some of the biggest shows in history, man. We'll do watch along and that's going to be the first time we've done that with a full three hour show. And it will be tremendous survivor series, 1991 SummerSlam, 1991 Royal rumble, 1992. And WrestleMania 8. I am looking forward to this. I think it will be a phenomenal show. 
and you guys get to pick which one we cover and all you've got to do is go click the subscribe button it's absolutely free at youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle uh bruce we've got one final question here that i missed a minute ago in the format do you got time for one more question no out of time <laughs> hey for th this one time okay okay are you ready okay hypothetically you know where i'm going with this if dave Meltzer is a big turd who's done it better if he's a what i know you're saying you got to discount everything he says and he's fake news and he's terrible at his job blah 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 blah, blah. who's done a better job than dave Meltzer? if dave is the worst who is the best none of them are they're That's all not, equal scumbags in my in my viewpoint. It's not an answer. Yeah, I, that is my answer. But if we wrestling fans like myself, because I'm a fan, if we're looking for some insight, you know what? I'm, I'm I'm happy you like him, and and you can like him, and I can hate him. It's America. That's what we do. And we're gonna do what we do for you next week, right here on something to wrestle with. You got anything? Fuck Dave Meltzer. I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> Bruce Pritchard. By the way, I've been subscribing to wrestlingobserver.com for like cares. 21 years. You, you, you all lies. It's a great value. Wrestlingobserver.com. No, no, dude. Yeah, that. Real time. Never. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.